relaxing because you weren't feeling well. Yeah. Um, we're back at it though. Short work week, which is great. Another short work week. So we'll be back into the weekend before you know it. Uh, time is 723 right now. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. How are you? Good morning, Blake and Aaron. I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Did you have a good weekend? Yes, it was nice. Long holiday weekend. Oh, you covered some of the uh, some of the events from over the weekend, which was cool. You know, yes, um, lots happened over the weekend. Obviously, as we celebrated the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee, very very nice. Did they end up doing the uh, the fireworks last night? I didn't actually go, mm. so um, I think people enjoyed it. I've heard a few people say that it was nice. Did you make it or no? We did not. Uh, it was a school day today yeah, for yes. both for everyone. So uh, you know, at time, not, didn't work. yeah, the time <laughs> yeah. didn't really work, especially and, with a three year old. And I'm trying to shake this not COVID. Yeah, it's not COVID. <laughs> <laughs> like, and look, look at me. I was taking care of myself all weekend and stayed in. Yeah, Aww. good for you. Good Aww. for you. So headlines this morning. Yes, what do you got? Uh, Cuban migrants making the headlines several times. There are uh, several of them. Um, uh, CBC officially said nine. My inside sources who work at the detention center actually said it's only eight. But anyway, eight or nine are in um, the detention center, or I should say the Breakers Civic Center, after coming down with a case of the chicken pox. Sure, chicken pox, or was it? Well, it, was it box? <laughs> I'm sure that's why they've isolated them because they mm. they're probably how, wondering how old are they? They're adults, so I don't know. Okay, they didn't really give an age, but well, see, listen, not every adult also has had like I never had the I had chicken pox, I never had the vaccine. Kids I now have that. the vaccine, you know. Yeah. Is it too late for us to get the vaccine? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, I, don't know. I think if you had it, um. Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think you can get it. You can't get the vaccine. I don't believe because yeah. you might get um, what's the thing? Shingles. Shingles. Yes. Yeah. Would be like a the concern. Yeah. Well, um, in addition to that, the remaining uh, sixty-eight who were left at the Fairbanks Detention Center were protesting between Saturday and Sunday. Um, I understand it was a peaceful protest. They were singing and um, you know kneeling and so on. They made a social media video to basically say that uh, they wanted to be let out of the detention center. Sure. So they're making certain demands. And I suppose the government's like, mm, that's just not how it works. We need to process you. And there's a process to it. Um, so yeah, so there's that. Um, kind of crazy. But the UN, in other news, uh, World Environment Day was on the 5th. And uh, the UN General Antonio Guterres is reminding everyone that the planet is their only home, despite people taking, you know, their private uh, rocket ships and trying to go somewhere else. <laughs> At this particular time, Earth is it. And so for World Environment Day, the message really is that um, we cannot keep up with uh, the planet, Mother Earth, cannot keep up with our demands. And so it's really, really vital that we try to safeguard the health of the atmosphere and the riches and diversity of, of uh, the ecosystems. So mm -hmm. a positive message. And there was lots of tips on how you can do that, even though everybody thinks, well, what is my little small thing going to do? Um, it can make a huge difference. 
everybody does something little, it amounts to something big. Yep. I agree. And it was also World Ocean Day um, over the weekend. So that was also celebrated by environmentalists around the world, including the Central Caribbean Marine Institute, uh, which observed the day um, with a special Reefs Go Live broadcast uh, from Kamana Bay Cinema on last week, Wednesday. So, or sorry, that's actually happening this Wednesday, tomorrow. Oh, cool. They're going to have that. Yeah. So um, people can check that out. Um, so there's a number of activities going on uh, this week in, uh, in relation to that. That's cool. So yeah, support. I mean, the, the world oceans are part of, you know, the major concern um, in terms of the ecosystem. Yeah, and but CCMI really does really... some great stuff. If you ever are over there, you can do a tour of CCMI and they kind of show you what they're working on. It's really cool over in mm -hmm. Middle Cayman. Yeah. So. And international news, Boris Johnson narrowly survived a no-confidence vote. So this was quite interesting. All that. Yeah. Went down yesterday. And um, yeah, people are saying that apparently his, um, you know, his leadership might now be in question and he may have to step down despite having won it. He's on such shaky ground that they may be demanding his resignation. So well, that happened with Theresa May. Yeah. She survived the vote, but then she resigned like six months later, I believe it was yeah. something like that. Hmm. Yes. So crazy. Did you, get some, did you get some new headphones? Um, I've always had these, but I hardly wear them. Oh, okay. I, I like them. I prefer the in-ear ones, but yeah, yeah. Great. today yeah. I'm being different. Look like a real <laughs> radio person right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, check you guys out. Yeah, I've got a couple of these, and um, you know, hey, why not? Well, cool. Check out your radio show uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes on Bobo eighty nine point one FM. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay. All right, guys. Have a good one. You too. All right, folks, uh, welcome back. I'm actually going to, um, let me just do some of my behind the scenes stuff that is required so that uh, Chuck can uh, check the audio for me on Bobo before we go live. And uh, I think we should be good. So let me just click on that. Yes, there we go. The mornings just slip away so quickly. Am I the only one who thinks that uh, your like morning time seems to go by so quickly once you start getting ready? It's like you roll out of bed and then the next thing you know, it's like, Work time, get on air, do this, do that. All right, folks, let's take a little minute to do some stuff behind the scenes before we go live on Bobo 89.1 FM. Sorrel, ginger, fever grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey child. On the cold hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill.
All right. Good morning. Good morning, K-Man. Rise and shine. It is time to get up and at them. It is Tuesday, June the 7th. Can you guys believe it? We're already one week into um, hurricane season. I hope that you guys are making your necessary preparations as it relates to that. We had our guests on uh, just last week reminding everyone of what is necessary. <clears throat> oh, gosh. Sorry. <coughs> my apologies. Oh, my gosh. What is necessary for you to be adequately prepared? And that includes everything from having your um, <clears throat> your pantry stock for hurricane season, making sure that, you know, the trees around your home are trimmed. And, you know, listen, Hurricane Grace taught us one thing, that palm tree that you've always had concerns about can easily uh, fall over on top of your house. So believe me when I tell you uh, it's time now. This is the opportunity to get all of these things done and in order. So I encourage everyone to, you know, go go through your list and, and do what you have to do in order to, um, to make it a safe hurricane season because we just don't know what we have up ahead. I'm understanding possibly up to eight or nine, um, na- not just name storms, but eight or nine hurricanes that we may have to be concerned mm-hmm. about. And then in addition to that, we will have, um, you know, some other uh, storms that we need to just essentially keep an eye out on. So folks, uh, do do what you got to do. That's simply the best advice that I can give you at this particular time. So good morning to one and good morning to all. Thank you guys so much, as always, for tuning into the program. We've got another fantastic show scheduled for you today, including, um, I must say, um, you know, it's, you guys are loving Rundown Tuesdays with Hell City. Everywhere I go, people are like, Sandy, oh my gosh, I love what you talked about this morning. And you're asking questions and you're even making show suggestions on what you would like to see coming up. So it is my pleasure to say that today is Tuesday and it's another Rundown Tuesday with Health City. And the topic that we're going to be covering today is a super, super important topic. And I feel like it's one of those topics that we're all a little bit afraid of. You guys can tell me the truth now. It is that June the 5th was National Cancer Survivors Day. And anytime you hear the C word, oh my God, it might as well be a four-letter word because it is so incredibly scared, scary. Um, everyone is afraid of getting cancer. They're afraid of what a cancer prognosis would mean for them and their families. But we're here to tell you that there is hope. That's the reason why uh, there is such a thing as National Cancer Survivors Day. Um, you know, the technology that is available in the field of medicine, the medical advances that have been made over the years, um, you know, make it so much better for every single person who's had this diagnosis that they can be um, a thriver or a survivor. So good morning to all of you. Good morning to Irvlin. Diamond Princess is here. We've got Melita joining us. Olivia. Omeria, good morning to you. I hope that you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, Hero Blair, thank you so much for tuning in. Natasha's here. Wee's got it locked. Brother Tommy joining us from overseas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And Nikki's here. And he says, good morning, CMR Nation. So we have several guests who are going to be joining us in the studio this morning. Uh, first of all, let's speak to Tiffany. Good morning, Tiffany. Good morning, Sandra. It's good to be on air again today. Um, I think you did the introduction quite well. Nobody wants to talk about that C word. Um, But, you know, at Health City Cayman Islands, that's why we are here, um, the medical facility. 
um, with several specialties under one roof. And mm -hmm. so I am happy today that we're, we're going to be looking at the patient's perspective. You know, it's Cancer Survivors Day was on June 5th. And, nice. um, and you, you mentioned the word thrivers because that's the spin that the community has been using recently. You're not only surviving, but you're thriving. You're able to live um, a meaningful life, regardless of the fact that you have gone through several challenges as a patient. And today we celebrate with all survivors across the world, <clears throat> really, not only in the Cayman Islands, um, raising awareness about the challenges, about the successes that we have experienced as a, a medical community. There's advances, as you mentioned, and we are inviting um, Tori Croft today. She is a uh, cancer survivor um, and basically, uh, you know, you know, when you become a, an ongoing patient, um, when you are diagnosed early in life, mm -hmm. um, you survive and you go through a number of um, treatments and you're still here with us to tell your story. So I don't want to steal the thunder from yes. her, um, but I do, you know, she's going to be imparting to the listening audience her journey with cancer not only having one type of cancer, but two <laughs> um, over uh, maybe a 20 something year span. Um, and she's going to be joining us this morning to share her story. And as you, as you rightfully said, sharing that message of hope that in 2022 in particular, it's no longer a death sentence. It's, mm -hmm. it's something that there are a lot of treatments in place. Um, I know that you're going to be showing our video um, later on in the show where Health City has made quite a significant um, financial investment recently um, mm -hmm. to, to basically outfit a, a cancer or oncology daycare suite at Kamana Bay, right? Yes. So we're not only um, providing those treatments at the East End facility right now, but within the Kamana Bay Clinic, which is currently up and running. Um, so we had the opening the other day and it's the the whole ethos of it is because, um, you know, cancer is, is such a, a disease that it can take a mental and, and it's physical, but it, it can also take a mental toll because it's mm -hmm. it's so um, intense, the level of treatment and care that patients have to go through. So the investment that Health City has made is focused on patient comfort um, within that facility you know, ensuring that persons are able to have their family on hand with them, you know, while they're having their infusion therapy done. Um, it also allows for privacy, you know, for those who would like um, more privacy when they're doing these treatments, along with their family, if, if they so choose. So we're going to be talking about that and sharing those new developments with your listening audience today. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, um, Tiffany, for that. So uh, we do have uh, several other guests who are going to be joining us. Of course, you just mentioned Tori. So let's go ahead and bring Tori into the studio. Good morning, Tori. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So good to see you. And we're going to learn a little bit about um, who Tori is and, you know, what her journey of survival has been like. 
uh, right from her own lips. And then, of course, we also have Jennifer uh, Weber, who is um, joining us from the oncology program, and she's the oncology program director. So she's going to be telling us a little bit more about what some of the offerings are at Health City as it relates to um, cancer specifically. So, um, I mean, this is just, it's so amazing, Tori, first of all, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. We understand um, that in February of 1995, as a teen, you were actually diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, tell us a little bit, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine, you know, what you've been through, but tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, well, it's a long story, uh, and I don't want to keep everyone here all day, but um, yes, in 1995, um, I was uh, singing in the choir, and uh, one of the, my my uh, friends, she noted a lump on my neck um, that was Hodgkin's disease, um, and I had some treatment uh, in 1995, and then I had a recurrence in 1996. And then I was cancer-free uh, until 2015, uh, when uh, in a regular exam uh, with my gynecologist, um, we discovered a lump. Uh, and from there, uh, I, I had some uh, treatment in um, the U.S. And then I also and then I had my chemotherapy at Health City. Um, and there's been a lot of bumps in the road since, but I'm still here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I am still considered uh, to have breast cancer, um, mm -hmm. although my breast cancer is no longer in my breasts. Uh, it's on my skin. Um, so I'm on in ongoing treatment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and Health City have been a huge part of my um, survivorship. Um, Dr. Dr. Vanitha Benoit, especially um, when I met her, I, I went away for my surgery um, in 19, in 2015. Uh, not, not many mastectomies were happening here uh, in Cayman. Um, a lot more of that is happening now, which is amazing. Um, but when I came back and met with her, um, I could tell she really cared. Right. Uh, and that's been, uh, and I've known a lot of oncologists at this point. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, when I speak to people locally who are starting their journey, um, with, with, with cancer, I say that they are in very good hands with her. Um, because out of every, every doctor I've ever met, she, she cares the most. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that says a lot because like you said, this journey for you has been a lengthy one and you've, you've met a lot of healthcare professionals I'm sure a lot of, um, oncologists and others. So uh, that's quite quite an endorsement. So where are you now? I know that you've said that it's on on your skin. So where are you now in terms of um, the treatments that are available to you? Um, I'm on a, you know I, I have uh, oral treatments, so the so pill uh -huh. so pills, um, a few injections. Um, you know, it, cancer evolves. You know, cancer medications evolved very fast. Um, mm -hmm. you know, medications I've been on medications in the past year that weren't available three years ago. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I've, medications change frequently. Um, you know, some of them work, some of them don't, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, it, unfortunately is a bit of a magic bullet. Like we're all different. So some medications that work amazing for one person don't work as amazingly for the other. Mm -hmm. um, but, the important part, the important like thing to remember is 
to, to not to give up. Um, and right. just because that one treatment wasn't the one, especially with breast cancer, there are so many um, um, available. Right. Okay. All right. Um, Jennifer Weber, thank you so much uh, also for joining us this morning. As the um, program director for the oncology uh, unit at Health City, tell us a little bit more about some of what uh, Health City offers in relation to cancer treatment. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be able to be here. And I wonder if uh, if everyone can see me and hear me. Oh, yes. We can okay, see good. Okay, great. Um, I'm so happy to be here and have a chance to, to talk um, with your listening audience and to see everyone here on the screen. Uh, I have to note that, Tori, your hair has gotten very long. I haven't seen you in a while. Your hair looks great. That's a wonderful thing to say to cancer survivors because it's uh, it, what it's true for sure. But uh, things at Health City are uh, are amazing. Um, thank you, Tori, for that wonderful endorsement of Dr. Dr. Vanitha. Um, I've heard many people through the years, as some of your listeners may know, I worked at the Cayman Islands Cancer Society for 11 years. And for uh, eight years of that, um, I interacted all the time with Dr. Vanitha and all the other oncologists and mm-hmm. uh, all the other doctors and organizations around, the, around Cayman. And, um, you know, we have, we're so fortunate in the Cayman Islands now that we have so many different doctors, we have so many different opportunities, and there are choices available in Cayman. And what's happening uh, next in the Cayman Islands is even more choices will be available for local people, because uh, when, um, when Health City opens its full-service cancer care center, everyone's going to be able to have everything under one roof, which is honestly a dream come true. Wow. Uh, we're going to have medical oncology, surgical oncology, and the big one, radiation in the future. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in 20, let's see, in 20, 2011, um, I remember that we didn't have one resident oncologist in mm-hmm. Cayman. It wasn't until Dr. Vanitha came in 2014 um, and said, oh, hi, I'm the new oncologist. I met her actually at a continuing medical education presentation that the Cancer Society was hosting at that time. Uh-huh. And uh, she stuck around afterwards and said, oh, I'm the new oncologist. And I actually laughed and said, oh, we don't have oncology in Cayman. Mm. And she said, we do now. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, from that point on, we actually had a resident oncologist. And I remember thinking at that time, what could be better? Wow. Well, what could be better would be even more services. And yes. now we're going to have we're going to have everything. This is such a game changer for uh, for all patients. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get diagnosed with cancer, um, you don't know what your doctor is going right, to recommend. You mm-hmm. don't know what stage cancer you have at the very beginning. You don't know if you're going to need the full gamut of, cert- of, uh, of specialties. You don't know, know if you um, are going to need radiation or not. Mm-hmm. And so your mind starts wandering going well what about work what am i going to do can i go overseas Mm -hmm. where will i go how long will i be gone who's going to come with me will i stay in the hotel how much is this going to cost me what will insurance pay all these things and so now patients are going to know that they can do everything here Mm 
And um, at the end of the day, they can go home to their own bed and they can have their friends come and sit with them and they can have their family member members come and bring them that plate of food that uh, is their favorite that helps comfort them. It's going to make all the difference. And so once everything is uh, is up and running, um, not only is Cayman as a community going to be covered and have everything that we need for our own community, but also uh, people in other communities and across the Caribbean and Latin America will have a good place to come, an alternative to going to the United States that's compassionate, affordable, and accessible to all. Wow. Uh, I mean, this this is amazing. In fact, you know, as you were discussing that, I was thinking right now, I know of um, two individuals who recently received a cancer diagnosis and both of them are overseas. One person I was just speaking with her yesterday um, and she was telling me a little bit about what her journey is, but she's been in Miami since May the 23rd. And she was saying that, you know, she has to be there at least, um, you know, eight weeks and it's looking like it's going to be, you know, quite a journey. And of course, not everything is um, precise. So they may tell you eight weeks and it turns out to be a longer treatment time. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's meeting with, you know, a lot of experts. I, as you were, you know, saying how useful it is mentally, physically, everything of not having to make that journey overseas. I mean, now we know that things are complicated um, because of COVID, monkeypox, all these other things that are happening in the world. And just just traveling through security is not easy um, for people who are ill and who are not feeling well and, you know, who've just um, been given such a diagnosis. So it would be wonderful, as you say, to just have all of your friends and family available to visit, or you can just go home at night, um, you know, to be with your kids, with your husband or spouse. Um, so yeah, that sounds amazing. So let's just say good morning to a few more people who are joining us on the live stream. So DJ Trucking sends his uh, morning greeting. Celine is also here. Dawn is here with us. Good morning, John. And Edison um, giving thanks this morning um, for everyone. And thank you so much, Eddie, for joining the program and everybody else who is listening to the program. I see Michael Ventura, who's in the Philippines, has just popped onto the live stream joining us. We've got people all over the world tuned in. Um, So this is, I think, amazing. Perhaps we can take an opportunity now to um, share a video. Carmely has also just popped in with our um, listeners uh, to the program this morning. Number one, the Health City facility has an oncology day suite that's now uh, open and serving uh, clients already. So let's Mm -hmm. hear a little bit about that. And then later on in the program, we have a little extra snippet um, on the wellness program, which, you know, Health City partners with a lot of other um, businesses and individuals on island to really offer a comprehensive service. So even if it's something that uh, they may not do, they're going to, you know, partner with the Breast Cancer Foundation, with the Cancer Society, and so on to make sure that uh, clients have all of the support folks that they really need. Welcome to our Health City at Kamana Bay Oncology Daycare Suite, conveniently located inside our clinic at Nine Forum Lane, Kamana Bay. With compassionate staff using the latest technology focused on maximum patient comfort, this treatment sanctuary features a seamless and efficient registration, admission, and discharge process. Our suite offers a tremendous amount of natural light and openness, while also providing private space for patients 
enabling loved ones to be on hand as support to those receiving care. Care is provided in one of three cozy power recliner infusion chairs in private spaces with an ambiance that creates a comforting and relaxing environment. Care provided includes chemotherapy, immunotherapy, hormone therapy, blood product transfusions, and other support care services. We know our patients would rather be somewhere else. That's why our caring and compassionate team is here to help ensure as comfortable a stay as possible. All right, folks, so uh, welcome back. So again, the oncology um, daycare, um, sorry, the Health City Oncology Daycare Suite um, offers a number of services, including chemotherapy, uh, immunotherapy, hormone treatment, blood products, transfusions, and other support care services as it relates to um, a cancer diagnosis. So folks, if you're just joining the program, good morning to you. Uh, June the 5th is National Cancer Survivors Day, and we're here with Health City as part of our Rundown Tuesday segment where we're talking about, you know, the services that they offer in relation to cancer treatment and their oncology uh, program. And it's something that is clearly expanding. So uh, Tiffany, can you tell us a little bit about, I know that you've got the uh, daycare suite, which by the way, it looks beautiful. And yes. what <laughs> have um, people who go through these types of treatments say to me is that, you know, the environment in which they receive treatment is so important for it to be yes. relaxing and calming. And, you know, I'm really quite impressed with the um, the daycare suite. What can we expect in terms of an expansion at the health the um, health city facility in Caymana Bay in particular? When it comes yes. To so, so, you know, I guess people can, you can look at it as baby steps, right? So we had um, health city facility in East End. Yes. Uh, we do still have operational there, our oncology daycare suite. Um, we've graduated to the comfort level at the Kamana Bay Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think persons know we are we are ensuring that we are more within reach for persons, you know, especially for cancer care where you're going to be in the facility for several hours, right? We want to make sure that patients are comfortable. Um, you can focus on your care and you, you're not having to worry. If you live in West Bay, for example, the drive down to East End, um, Kamana Bay Clinic is closer. Then the Kamana Bay um, Hospital, which is currently under construction, it's going to be, I think Jennifer mentioned it earlier, the radiotherapy area is something that we currently don't have in um, Cayman Islands right now. And a lot of people still travel overseas to get the care that they need. So we're very, very proud and, and happy to be able to provide that here right here in the Cayman Islands. We also have uh, our breast surgeon, um, who is the only um, specialty, specialty of that nature in currently in the Cayman Islands. Dr. Rashmi Sharma has joined the team recently, mm-hmm. um, working collectively with Dr. Vinitha Benoit, um, Dr. Pravin, and the oncology nurses that work in the daycare suite on a daily basis. So our team has expanded not just the equipment that's coming in, um, but the level of expertise and and doctors that are joining the team to be able to provide that kind of a care. So there's surgery. Um, 
We're going to be having the radiotherapy and we're going to be having the full suite of services at Health City Kamana Bay. Mm-hmm. So the, the project there, um, it's, it's a, a very a huge one. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's being outfitted in different phases. Um, it's starting with the oncology care. So phase one is going to be opening first. And then um, the other phases, we'll have other specialties that are going to be coming into fruition as well. So similar to how we have East End with our um, oncology or urology or um, all the various specialties, gynecology areas under one roof in East End, it's just mm-hmm. going to be that much better because our capabilities are being advanced. Um, we do have robotic surgery, which has been recently added to our suite of services. So that's something that's novel as well. Mm-hmm. And so with with the advances that we're seeing, not just with the doctors, but the, the quality of care we're able to give with additional equipment, um, it's really just a 360-degree um, holistic approach to patient care that Health City is, is a is embarking on um, 2022 and beyond. And, you know, Dr. Devish Shetty's philosophy basically is, you know, it's not a solution unless it's affordable and it's, you know, within person's reach to get the care that we need. And Health City's leadership is really focused on that to ensure that, you know, healthcare is accessible to persons, not only here locally in the Cayman Islands, but in the rest of the Caribbean, right? Our Caribbean neighbors um, who also travel a lot overseas for care when they're not, you know, available in their respective countries. Mm-hmm. And so the vision is that Health City Cayman Islands will be that hub um, to be able to provide health care to our neighboring countries as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Fantastic. No, I think that that's, that's really quite amazing. Thank you so much, Tiffany, um, for that update. So folks, I just want to remind you that you can call into the program. Uh, 936-2626 is the number. That's 936-BOBO. If you have a question or comment that you would like to uh, share with um, you know, either Tori or Jennifer or Tiffany, please feel free to do so. So again, today's topic of discussion is National Cancer Survivors Day. And you know, more and more, we mentioned already that all types of cancers are are treatable they're survivable in fact i was just reading an article um yesterday i didn't get to completely finish it but they were talking about a small study that has been done and this was in the new york times on um, rectal cancer and the results have amazed everyone although it's a very very small study it was only 18 people they've never had a study where every single person was put in remission by the treatment that was being offered. So I think that this is amazing um, for any type of, of, you know, disease or especially cancer that um, the early indicators for treatment and for this available uh, drug um, is just, you know, the, the researchers are blown away by this. They cannot believe that every single person has been, has been um, put in remission. So, you know, We've got um, drug companies, and this one just happens to be um, GlaxoSmithKline, who you know has this particular drug that they're working on, and more studies, I'm sure, will have to be done before it can get to the full approval stage. But everyone is working towards um, ultimately cures for all of the cancers that impact people. Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit about what are some of the emerging treatments out there that are available? What's cutting edge? And I know that Health City is obviously keeping on top of all of those things. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, one of my uh, my favorite things to do is to hang out with Dr. Vanitha and hear mm -hmm. what's new. Yes. Um, because uh, I don't know, I don't know all specialties of, uh, mm -hmm. of doctors and medical professionals, but I have learned that it is the medical oncologists that do homework every night for their whole life of their practice. Mm -hmm. um, because not only are new medications coming on um, every every year, you know, I think uh, as just consumers, whenever we watch television, we see all these new medications that are uh, advertised on TV, right? A lot of them are for cancers. Mm -hmm. And so uh, even as non-cancer um, patients, uh, the average person starts to learn these names. But not only are they coming up every year, but there's new medications every month. There's new medications every week. Mm -hmm. So she's constantly reading and keeping on top of all of these things. And there are new, there are new developments all the time. You know, breast cancer is an area of research that's um, very, uh, that's very popular. There's always a lot of research going on for breast cancer. That's great because there's a lot of breast cancer in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and there, you know, I think before, if um, if your listeners are thinking, well, you know, there's, let's see, how many kinds of cancer are there? Well, there's, you know, 10 different body parts. So there's 10 kinds of cancer. There yeah. are so many, there are hundreds of types of cancer. And then within each of those kinds of cancer, there are various specialties there. You know, even within breast cancer, there are lots of different types of breast cancer. And then you add in the staging, how advanced that cancer is, and it makes everything much more complicated. So mm -hmm. the doctors who are treating, um, are treating cancer patients um, are not only treating the cancer, but they're treating that specific person for that specific cancer at that specific stage, mm. it is highly specialized. And so when new medications come on the market, mm -hmm. it's the what the doctor does is the doctor starts to think about, okay, does this new medication uh, suit this particular patient and the particular kind of cancer that they have. Mm -hmm. So um, it there are constantly new things. And immunotherapy has been something that's been big in Cayman. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been, it's made a big difference. Um, it, it's, uh, it was six years ago that, uh, I remember that we had a patient who came uh, to the cancer society, an elderly gentleman, he was in his late seventies and he had stage four lung cancer. And, uh, he came and I remember reading his prognosis in the medical reports and it was not good. Um, mm -hmm. and the expectation, he was very, very advanced and, um, he was elderly. It didn't, his, his, um, the projection was three to six months mm -hmm. wow. and, uh, he lived six years because, mm -hmm. um, because the immunotherapy that he started to, he was the first patient, uh, in Cayman who started taking this particular kind of immunotherapy. It was new on the market mm -hmm. and he started taking it and it worked. Now, some people might be listening and saying, oh, six years, that's not very long. When you're 78 mm -hmm. and you get an additional six years, uh, that meant a lot. He got to see one more of his daughters get married. He got to mm -hmm. see two more of his grandchildren be born. And he got to celebrate his 50th wedding anniversary with his wife. Mm. These are these are things that mean a lot to all of us in our lives, right? We get to share those special times. And uh, the, medic the new medication made 
a huge difference for him. And so that's happening all the time. There are always new things that are taking place. And once uh, the Cayman Islands has a radiation treatment available, that mm -hmm. opens the door for additional kinds of things because some medications have to be um, have to be connected to radiation. Is all I can say. They're they're uh, they have to be irradiate irradiated first, um, and mm -hmm. so that people can uh, can receive these treatments. And so um, it's going to make all the difference, and we're going to be able to do so much more in Cayman. I'm I, I can't even describe how excited I am. I never imagined in my lifetime that that we would have um we would have so much so many services and so much available to patients for every kind of cancer and that we wouldn't have to keep sending people overseas to go stay in a hotel and eat carry out food and worry about their bills mm -hmm. um, and and be away from their children and their their families for uh, long periods of time it's uh, it's it's a happy time in the Cayman Islands and I can't wait till that ribbon cutting in November Beautiful. Wow. Well, I mean, I hear the excitement in your voice. And I think that a lot of us, um, you know, certainly share your optimism for the future, as it relates to um, cancer survivors. And I think that, as you said, for someone to go from being told, you know, maybe three to six months and get six years, um, bless you, is, um, is absolutely amazing. And, you know, that that's everyone's hope is that you can have, you know, survivability um, past that five-year mark and perhaps even beyond. So good morning to Ms. Rita. She's joining us. Uh, Chris says that he's joining us from Philadelphia this morning. Uh, Tracy is enjoying the program. She says this is such great news. And we also have Darlene who says wonderful talks and thanks very much. So there are a lot of people um, who are listening to the program this morning. Some of you may have had, like I said, I just know two people, um, you know, who are friends to the CMR. They're part of the CMR family. They're here with us all the time um, on our program. They've just both um, gotten a diagnosis as it relates to cancer. Uh, one was breast cancer and she's away having to do um, additional treatment. And then the other person um, has cervical cancer and she's also looking at doing some treatment and she reached out to us yesterday because we're going to, you know, both of them have sent us some information um, trying to, you know, do some fundraising for their treatment. And um, at this time, unfortunately, you know, one said that she just had to do some blood work yesterday. She just did an MRI, PET scan, CT scan for radiation simulation. Um, and she's talking about kind of what the process will be like. And, you know, it's so amazing that patients now have a lot of information available mm -hmm. to them. You know, they can sit down and talk to uh, these specialists, um, talk to hematologists and others who can really kind of guide them on what the process will be like, because the better informed you are, obviously, the more comfort level you will have. Uh, Tori, tell us a little bit about, um, you were mentioning what a wonderful experience you've had at Health City. Tell us how, you know, that eased the process for you of having to go through another, you know, round of, of treatment for cancer. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember vividly, uh, you know, my first visit out to Health City, uh, you know, it was, the facility was fairly new. Um, I, since you just said Dr. Vanita arrived in 2014, uh, I was probably within, uh, I was there on 2016, um, and uh, there weren't, it was not what it is today. There weren't that many of us there, um, but, you know, they, she was very open to she was very open to helping um and in my case uh as jennifer brought up my hair um 
I had uh, been doing some, I had lost my hair once already uh, in, uh, in 1995 as a teenager uh, with my first round of chemo. And I didn't want to lose it again. So I had done some research and I had found uh, a, a offering called uh, Cold Caps, mm. uh, which is available in the Cayman Islands. Uh, Health City was the first uh, hospital here to have it, uh, as I believe... Uh, I know HSA have it for sure. I'm not sure uh, on the, on um, doctor's hospital or not. But anyway, the, the cold capping was, uh, she was unsure about it, but she was willing to listen and try um, and let us, um, with the help of the Breast Cancer Foundation, uh, bring in the equipment that's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, a, it's not your standard freezer. It's a freezer that has to go down to a medical temperature, which I cannot remember off the top of my head, which is really, really cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you have to wear them for a few hours before your treatment uh, and change every 30 minutes during your treatment and then wear them for a few hours after your treatment. Mm. So it, it, it in that case, it involves the staff putting a lot of um, extra hours in to allow mm-hmm. for you to have that quality of life experience where you get to keep your hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh Indira, uh, you know, Nurse Indira, um, who I think is the only one for sure that's still there from when I went. She, you know, loved every loved loved to help out for every second of it, as she still does. Uh, she again is another person that works on that team that really cares. Uh, and you know, Indira, you know, I I, I don't know how they do it because they see us at our worst, um, and they still smile and i know that i've sat in a room with a lot of other not so happy patients because you're, you're not in your best place mm-hmm. um and she they it rolls off her back and she still says what can i get for you how can i help um and that that you know that's what makes um places special you know medical facilities that you know that they persons that really care and um take time to check on you, mm. uh, you know, and that, they, you know, she, that was, I remember that one being the thing that blew me the way the most is I had gone home uh, after my first treatment and I got a WhatsApp from Indira checking on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, I've been, I've been <laughs> I don't know, no, no doctor or nurse mm-hmm. has ever like tried to check, like, you know, you have to, in the U.S., you have to go through a portal and a portal mm-hmm. and like go into middle earth to talk to somebody. <laughs> Wow. And and, uh, and she was just calling to make sure I was okay and that, you know, I wasn't having too many side effects. And I was in bed and I was like, that was, that was weird. Uh, and, but I was so, you know, and I, you know, I was so thankful for it. Um, and, you know, I'm very excited for the radiation. Um, uh, I, you know, and I know what's involved in the radiation. I mean, you know, I oh think, uh, well, I know what's involved in it from a treatment perspective. I've had two mm-hmm. doses of radiation in my life. Um, it beats, it beats the crap out of you for a lot, you know, if I'm being blunt, mm-hmm. um, and for the, I had to have some radiation, um, in 2017, uh, uh, I think. Um, and I was, I, you know, I was, I was, I was lucky in that I could go, I found a facility that was near some family in the U S so I had, I didn't have to stay in a hotel, but it didn't change the fact that I wasn't there with my husband. I wasn't there with my young children. Um, and I was on my own. I mean, I had, I had family, I had friends, but I didn't have my house. I didn't have, Mm -hmm. 
kids. Um, so this and this radiation facility is going to be a game changer for so many people on this island, and and mm -hmm. not just from being able to get the treatment, but from an emotional standpoint, right? Because uh -huh. people, it's hard to fight when you're not with your family, or you're not in your space, or mm -hmm. you're you're not you can't work, or you know, you, so you 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 can lose the will to fight a little bit, and you know, and you want during that radiation period, you want to have all your wits and assets with you. Mm -hmm. And for Hell City to take on what's involved construction wise for radiation um, is huge. Cause I know, you know, for example, uh, Sloan Kettering in New York city is the number two cancer hospital or was, I don't know what, what number they're on right now, but they were the number two cancer hospital in the US and they because of New York City and logistics of being able to build a radiation facility didn't mm -hmm. have one in New York City. Wow. So we're going to have some you know we're putting in the effort which you know is going to is is huge to make that happen. Mhm. Mm That's amazing. Tiffany, wow. That's yes. It's quite impressive. And I I think sometimes as lay persons, I mean, Tori has had that firsthand experience, so she knows mm -hmm, what it's mm -hmm. like to have some of these services available. But like she said, for a major city like New York, a major cancer institute, um, like the one that she just mentioned, not to have uh, radiation treatment because it's not as easy to even build a facility um, as people think. I mean, yeah. I sat back and went, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes, and Health City, you know, the benefits that um, there's economies of scale, right? So our parent yes. company is Narayana Health, which is based out of India. Um, and there, you know, we, we benefit from, you know, having that connection and Dr. Devish Shetty's philosophy of ensuring that no one, mm -hmm. um, no one loses access to the care that they need mm -hmm. um, to survive. Um, for any for any illness, not just cancer, but anything else, right? So with that inspiration in the background from the NH um, team and then the leadership team here at Health City in the Cayman Islands working together um, to ensure that that mission continues. Um, I remember when we did our opening groundbreaking event at on this on this construction site at Kamana Bay in January this year. Um, Dr. Devi, he did do a, a, a video presentation and, mm -hmm. you know, if I could remember the exact words, I would read it right now, but basically, you know, indicating that the vision is for Health City to be that hub of healthcare for everyone in this region, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the local, I mean, everybody knows with the pandemic happening um, mm -hmm. or, or, our strategies had to change, right? The, their travel, we had we had lockdown, we weren't able to travel out for care, um, persons locally who would have usually traveled away. So a lot of the strategy that we did as an organization turned internally to how can we service um, our local population here in the Cayman Islands. Now that protocols and restrictions are lifting and um, hopefully they'll continue to you know, positively be positively lifted and impacted in terms of um, our ability to bring in international patients to receive this care. Um, that, in essence, is going to be meeting the mission that Dr. Devi um, has indicated he's championing, and the leadership team at Health City is working steadfastly to ensure 
that we're able to meet that. Um, so top of the line, state of the art, world-class care right here in the Cayman Islands, avail available to local patients here, as well as our neighbors in the Caribbean. Um, firstly, right? But the Western Hemisphere, right, is not so far-fetched to ensure that we're meeting um, the needs of persons in the U.S., persons in Canada. Um, mm -hmm. For those who are listening who are aware of, you know, um, medical care in Canada, there are several persons who are on waiting lists over there for orthopedics treatment. Just for example, they, they have to wait for months and years. Unlike in the Cayman Islands, you can make an appointment to see Dr. Alwyn or Dr. Niranjan in in less than a month or next week. Um, so as Tori mentioned, you know, you know, with her journey and seeing what it's like elsewhere, um, when you're trying to reach out to a doctor and connect with them with regards to your treatment plan, um, that is one of the things that Health City has um, been able to navigate to ensure that persons do not have to wait um that long in order to get the care that they truly need yes and i mean you know that personal touch um at a time like this i think is so incredibly important now tori you were talking about the cold cap therapy we understand that you were one of the first patients in the cayman islands to actually benefit from that which um really assisted you with being able to keep your hair and it, it looks beautiful by the way <laughs> so, i'm so glad again that the technology has advanced and you were able to discover um, this technological, you know, um, just, it's just amazing therapy that allowed you to, to do something to people. It might sound simple, but I know that hair loss is always, especially for women, one of the major concerns that people have, that women have when they're going through, through treatment, because it's just, you know, your hair is who you, it's part of who you are as part of us, you know, in terms of our identity and stuff and just being able to, um, keep something, normalized, I think, um, really helps with um, just the mental battle that you're going to be going through as well as the physical battle. So Jennifer is joining us this morning. Good morning, Jennifer. Jennifer says, it's so glad to see this talk in cancer. Um, oh my gosh, hold on a second. This is some negativity. We thought that this was going to be a positive comment this morning. All right, Jennifer, um, we try to keep this segment positive for sure. So I'm not sure what that's about, um, but certainly, you know, I'm sure um, she has some concerns there. You can certainly reach out to um, the other Jennifer or reach out to Tiffany about those concerns. So folks, uh, let's, let's keep it positive if we can. We're talking about survivability and uh, that is a positive journey, in my opinion, that people um, have to go through. So certainly we want to encourage people to just remember to be as positive as possible. All right, let's go ahead and take this opportunity, folks, to um, watch another video. So this one is about the wellness program and the partners that come on board in order to uh, make this program something that's extremely beneficial to anyone who's had a cancer diagnosis and who's working through that. Cancer Foundation is very dear to my heart and I feel honoured to be part of it and to be with such a group of strong women and it really does help to balance your life and show you what is important and these ladies are so courageous 
and I journey with them through their treatments from the very first one until the last one. Basically when they're having the drugs administered their skin is very dry so we help to remove all the dead skin cells and really smooth the feet. A massage is also given which helps to combat uh, neuropathy which basically is in their fingers and their toes and it's kind of like a pins and needles and a loss of sensation. So the massage helps to stimulate the circulation. Also a side effect of the chemotherapy is that it darkens fingernails and toenails, again from the neuropathy and from the drugs. So this is also why the ladies like to have their fingers and toes polished so that um, you know, they're not embarrassed of the way that their hands look. Shortly after um, Bliss told me about the wellness program and the Breast Cancer Foundation, uh, Jeanette reached out to me and uh, set up an appointment to meet and um, go over what the wellness program had to offer. It was in that visit that Jeanette um, mentioned cold caps. Uh, I'd never heard of cold caps before, but um, I was very interested as any breast cancer survivor in um, keeping your hair. Um, I did lose, I, did, I, had, I have had cancer pr prior. I lost all my hair at age 17, uh, which as pretty much I'm sure everyone who's ever been 17 or a teenager in general, losing your hair is probably the least helpful uh, <laughs> thing to happen while you're going through adolescence. Uh, and, and then now even more so this time, I was most worried about losing my hair because of my kids. They're, they're young, and I don't think they were ever going to get it. Having my hair was always going to be amazing to them not know that there was really, that mommy's still okay. Cold cap is a temperature of minus 32 degrees Celsius. Um, a temperature which I never knew before, uh, but I know now very well. Um, and so when the cap comes on, it is obviously, quite obviously very cold and gives basically brain freeze. Um, uh, the worst kind of slurpy, daiquiri headache you can imagine for about five minutes and then it passes. Um, it's an intense process and luckily for me, I had my rock of a husband there with me to uh, help me research and learn the process as well as change my caps. Um, I think probably more than 30 cap or more than uh, sorry 17 caps in a day every 25 minutes it's something that I would hope every cancer patient has this person's as dedicated as my husband was to me on it as well as breast cancer foundation Jeanette um, the staff at Health City were are amazing people um, and all these things really do lend to healing I, th I think I think it's much easier to not respond well to treatment if you're not looked after well. And I was and am looked after very well um, by the foundation uh, and my husband especially.
So again, folks, just a reminder um, that the Breast Cancer Foundation and others in the community are working in conjunction with Health City um, and their team to really offer you world-class um, cancer treatments. And, um, you know, that particular patient was explaining her experience as it relates to the cold cap therapy. And it was very, very interesting because I didn't even think about how often, um, Tori, you can tell us if this was, you know, your experience as well, how often you actually have to change the cap. That, so, so Sandra, I just want to let you know that that was Tori in the video. So, she had shorter hair there um, in that video. Uh, and also, I just want to, for those who are streaming and, and we're watching that, you know, I know persons might be listening on the radio, but for those yeah. who were able to look at the video clip, Tori actually shared that video with us. Now, I never saw that video before. <laughs> she oh she sent Tori it to me. So, so that so was before... Yeah, that was before my time because um, I, I joined Health City in the middle of 2019. Uh -huh. So when she shared that video with, with me in preparing for this show, I, uh -huh. I watched it like five times. I'm like, oh, looking at uh -huh. it. It was a great, um, for me, a great testimonial to kind of hear from her perspective as a patient and the partnership that Health City had with the Breast Cancer Foundation and the, um, the wellness program, mm -hmm. and even the Spa to Go um, team that worked mm -hmm. together to put that all, all um, you know, to ensure that patients get the care that they need. While, so while they're getting medical treatment, they're also mm -hmm. taking care of themselves. Yes. You know, and I think Jennifer said it earlier in terms of, uh, not sure who on the show said it, you know, as, as women, or it might've been you, Sandra, as women, mm -hmm. uh, we take pride in things like our hair and mm -hmm. our nails and how we, you know, we, how we put ourselves together. And so those kinds of added um, treatments, in addition to the medical treatment, which you need to survive, I think mm -hmm. coming together holistically is really important because it then puts you in that frame of mind that, oh, look, I'm being cared for. I just need to focus now on being brave, um, not giving up, and mm -hmm. so on. So um, I just thank Tori. Uh, you know, in, in the in the in the listening world right now, thank you publicly yes, for sharing that video just for me because I I never um, saw that video before, and I, I thought it was really a good one to share mm -hmm. this morning. Yeah, sorry, Tori. I didn't notice the hair difference. The backstory on that was uh, my hair was probably about this long going in. Yes. Uh, and there was, a, as everyone knows, bringing items into Cayman, uh, Cayman is, is not easy. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of logistics involved and it was looking like touch and go as to whether or not I was going to, we were going to get the equipment in time. So I had mm -hmm. cut my hair short just as like a, uh, having gone through before knowing, knowing how the hair would, uh, fall out mm -hmm. uh, I, I but that video was actually uh within a few months of the of my um, i believe that video was within a few months of my uh the end of my chemotherapy and as you mm -hmm. can see uh, it did really well now you know it, it it's not a complete uh, i do want to make sure that i say this to you know i yeah. have a lot of hair everybody can see there's a lot of hair in my head um some people will lose more you'll i think the woman uh who we worked with to bring the caps in um said you have what they call a big shed so you will still mm -hmm. lose some hair but 
it won't you're probably the only one that's really going to notice. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and it also, it, 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 it's not for every chemotherapy. Some chemotherapies can't, um, can't manage it because they're too, the, you know, the concentration rate is too quick that, you know, the caps mm -hmm. can't work. Um, but for whom it can be available to, um, it's, it's, you know, you don't have to wear that badge of honor that says I've, I have cancer. You know, mm -hmm. not everybody wants to walk out the door with, a rag on their head and everybody go, Oh, that person's got cancer, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, you know, but either way, you don't, if you don't choose to do the caps then go you, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, but having that, um, that option available, option available is, is, yeah. is, in. it's actually, it's actually not a new technology. I believe they've been doing it in Europe for a very long time. It's just slowly mm -hmm. made its way, um, around the world. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and the Breast Cancer Foundation, um, yeah, it, it should be noted that they, they have been amazing to me. Um, mm. uh, and, you know, if I were to compare 19, you know, I, I not if, I when I compare 1995 to 2015, mm -hmm. um, 16, you know, they're night and day. You know, mm -hmm. I had a lot, I, I had and still do have a lot more time to focus on other things outside of my disease than I, than, than, than I used, than I did the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, having the cancer society, having the breast cancer foundation um, and how much those, both of those, um, those, those places work with health city mm -hmm. is, is, is it makes a very big difference um, to, to managing your care. I mean, just, just have just you know the amount of things you need to remember and having everything under one roof um mm -hmm. is um is, is something that you don't even think about when you're diagnosed right does this person know, does this doctor over here in new york know everything that dr Benita knows over in hell city and you know it it's so much easy to lose track um and for what for for you know came on to be able to have all of a patient's surgical notes and not only notes, but the, the doctors can talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and doctors talk to each other, you know, getting a, getting a, a U.S. doctor on the phone with a, a, a do another doctor from another clinic in the U S Never mind getting them on the phone with someone here. There's a lot of, mm -hmm. HIPAA laws. there's a lot, you know, there's privacy laws that, you know, it's so, but if all the doctors are under the same roof, they don't have that issue because it's your medical record that you've already agreed to you know that that those doctors have access to mm -hmm. um and and then less is lost in translation right some practical things folks but uh really really important elements um that makes the survivor's journey that much um easier so herma is joining uh, by way of comment says good morning miss sandy good morning to the doctors um uh that's awesome news happening in the Cayman Islands and Caribbean. Great job, guys. Thank you so much. Jasara also joining us. So, folks, we're just about to wrap up our segment on this Rundown Tuesday with Health City. So they're here every single Tuesday. We're covering a variety of different topics. 
um, you know, all the services that they offer. And trust me, it's a lot. I have been learning so much um, about Health City and what they do. So they're not just specializing in, you know, the, the heart treatments and the heart attacks anymore. They've expanded their services to include a real um, comprehensive, just breadth of amazing things. So folks, today we were talking about uh, June the 5th was National Cancer Survivors Day. And as we celebrate survivors, we wanted to speak with Tori, who's been here on the program, and Jennifer Weber, who has recently joined as the Oncology Program Director at Health City to learn a little bit more about the facility and what they offer. And of course, Tiffany is no stranger to the program. Tiffany is part of the, um, the marketing team there at Health City as well. And she's well-versed in all of the services that they offer. So Tiffany, um, Jennifer and Tori, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Tori, we continue to um, pray for you and keep you in our thoughts and surround you with nothing but positivity as you continue your survivor's journey. Um, Jennifer, this is our first time having you in the program. So welcome um, to your first rundown segment. And of course, Tiffany is always here. Yes, thanks again, um, Sandra, for having us this morning. Thank you, Tori. Thank you for Jen for taking the time out um, to spend an hour with us. Um, one thing we didn't mention this morning, but we, 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 we do it on every show that we talk about cancer. Yes. We didn't mention it today. Early detection saves lives. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think the, the testament that Tori is here, um, you know, we weren't there with you in 2015 or no, um, was it, when was your first, 1995, 1995. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't there with you then, but um, mm. I'm sure that there was some early detection that happened that allowed you to mm. be with us today, right? So just wanting to um, instill in anyone listening this morning, you know, as Tori had a, um, one of her friends noticed a lump on her neck. Mm -hmm. um, you, if you notice anything like that in your, your body, um, that's different, um, or maybe something's growing or changing and you're not too sure what it is about, don't hesitate to come to us at Health City, make an appointment. It's easy to make an appointment with us to see a Dr. Vinita, um, 640-4040 is the number to call mm -hmm. or send us an email at info at healthcity.ky so we can set up that consultation. And we do have the full diagnostic services at Health City, you know, from the lab, um, the blood work, you can do that all there, um, as well as any kind of scans that you need to do. Um, image guided biopsies are available. Um, you know, we can do thyroid scans. Obviously, there is the mammogram um, and, you know, all the different um, tests that need to be done in order mm -hmm. to, to determine whether or not, because not all the time, it means you have something, mm -hmm. right? It's to rule out that, um, you know, if you do have something, we catch it early. If you don't, then great. You have your peace of mind. It's something that's going to go away. It's just a, one of those things that happen. Um, and that actually happens with the human body. Sometimes something comes up and then it goes, out, goes away on its own and it's nothing to worry mm -hmm. about. So don't hesitate to come forward to get things checked out so that you can get the care that you need if needed. Sandra, can I, can I, yes. can I give a, a little extra uh, shout out? So uh, we're talking about survivorship here, right? And so uh, I want to make sure that all your listeners know that uh, the Cayman Islands Cancer Society has an annual cancer survivors dinner 
Um, sometimes we call it the Thrivers Dinner. Um, but anyone who is a cancer survivor is uh, welcome to call the Cancer Society. I can give you the telephone number. It's 949-7618. I'll repeat that. The Cayman Islands Cancer Society telephone number is 949-7618. If you are a cancer survivor or a thriver, mm -hmm. um, you can call and say, hey, put me on the list. I want to be um, a guest at the Cancer Survivor Center. It is sponsored by Health City every year. So mm -hmm. it is free for cancer survivors, thrivers. Um, I remember years ago when we first started this, we used half of the Marriott ballroom. Mm -hmm. And in the last few years, um, it's become so crowded. It was one of my greatest joys at the podium to say to hear people complain that the, the cancer survivors dinner was too crowded because there are too many cancer survivors to fit in the ballroom at the Marriott Hotel. That's a wonderful Amazing. problem to have. Yes, so absolutely. If you are a listener, you can please call the Cancer Society, get on the list. You do not have to have received your treatment at, the, at Health City. And you can be uh, anyone who received any treatment and you can be someone who is a current uh, cancer fighter, <coughs> excuse me, or somebody who uh, survived cancer and has been thriving for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. So make, that dinner is going to be July 7th. Uh, so make sure that you're there to enjoy an amazing night of fellowship. And I'll tell you, it is a huge inspiration for the people who are in the room um, who are currently battling cancer, because when they're kind of in their darkest hour and they're walking in and they're seeing, you know, they're feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to, how, how it's going to be for me. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And they look and they go, my gosh, there's so many people in this room and know that they're all survivors. It's really inspiring. So Cancer survivors out there, make sure that you contact the Cancer Society, get on a list, and we'll see you at the Health City Cancer Survivors Center, July 7th. July 7th. Wow. Thank you so much um, for that, Jennifer. And I want to give a shout out to all of the organizations, um, the NGOs, NPOs in the Cayman Islands who work tirelessly. You know, um, I can't remember the exact date I went in, but I did um, not too long ago visit the Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, at their office, and uh, they were showing me some of the wonderful things that they do because we really want to highlight the amazing facility that they have there and everything from, you know, fitting uh, survivors with a proper, um, you know, prostheses and all these other things. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. And I was sitting there and I was so overwhelmed by everything that they do and just everything, just the entire topic that I literally just burst out in tears. Yeah. And they were like, oh my God, are you okay? And I think that, you know, for me, I found the experience to be extremely overwhelming. I can only imagine what someone who's actually going through it at times must feel. And I want to give a shout out. I see Miss Lily uh, just commented and joined the program. She said, morning, my friend. And right now, Miss Lily is someone who's going through it. She's someone who's had a recent diagnosis. And I want to say, um, Lily, you know, we um, are keeping you in, in our prayers and I'm constantly thinking about you. And Lily is having a garage sale on Saturday to help raise some funds because she has to, um, you know, continue some additional treatment. So, you know, her treatment journey overseas, um, she's going to be going overseas shortly. We'll be continuing. So I'm just going to share the link um, for her garage sale in the chat section. Please click on it. Support Miss Lily in any way that you can. She's a small business owner. Um, you know, there's 
people have different situations with insurance and all sorts of complications. So um, Lily, I want you to also reach out to some of these NPOs like the Breast Cancer um, Foundation who offer assistance to individuals, including financial and emotional support and other things that can help you through the journey. And they actually have people working in their office folks who are survivors. So they know the journey firsthand. Mm -hmm. So again, thanks to uh, Jennifer, Tiffany, and Tori so much for joining us this morning. Another wonderful segment of uh, Rundown Tuesdays with Health City. And uh, make sure you stay tuned every single Tuesday. Do not miss a segment. The information is always so amazing. Uh, ladies, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks thank for you. Us. For over seven years, Health City Cayman Islands has provided life-changing and life-saving medical care for the people of the Cayman Islands at our hospital in East End. During this time, we have become an integral part of the community and now focused on connectivity and collaboration. Our vision is to make an even greater impact on the quality of health care for the people of our islands. In summer 2022, we will open a 70,000 square foot state-of-the-art hospital built on three acres of land at the southern end of Kamana Bay, bringing much-needed specialized medical services closer to where people live, work, and play. Kamana Bay, located at the heart of Seven Mile Beach, is home to schools, businesses, shops, restaurants, and entertainment. And now, Health City Kamana Bay, a $100 million world-class hospital. Health City Kamana Bay will include an advanced cancer care unit offering bone marrow transplantation and the latest cancer treatment technology. It will contain a modern neonatal intensive care unit, emergency and critical care, purpose-designed operating rooms for surgical specialties, such as cardiology, neurology, and orthopedics, and robotic operating systems. A master plan for improved health care for the people of the Cayman Islands. Ready to meet the needs of our patients here and now, we have already established a footprint in Kamana Bay with the opening of our clinic. Offering short wait times, extended opening hours, including evenings and weekends, and the ability to see our world-class doctors closer to where our patients live and work. The clinic has bright, comfortable waiting areas and treatment rooms, friendly staff, expert care, lab services and diagnostics. Reflecting our operating philosophy of patient-centered care, convenient access to our specialist doctors allows our patients to focus on getting better rather than getting to appointments. With our unwavering commitment to our community and the thousands of patients who trust us to care for them, we look forward to building healthier communities in a place where life unfolds, blossoms, and thrives. Welcome to Health City, Kamana Bay. All right, folks, welcome back to the program, 936 236 yes, 936 Bobo is the number. Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. I told you guys we had a full show for you today, so guess what? We're on to the next hot topic. Um, So listen, 
this evening, the um, developers at the Mandarin Oriental uh, Beach Bay Project are going to be having a meeting. It's a community meeting, and it is intended to be an informative meeting for you guys to come out and learn a bit about, you know, what the project is, where the project is at, um, who the new, uh, you know, development team is that's come on board. You're able to ask questions about the development and so on. And I wanted to, you know, they're, they're joining us this morning on the program so we can get a little bit of a precursor to what they're going to be discussing. But I also wanted to take this opportunity to sort of share my thoughts on uh, development in the Cayman Islands, generally speaking, and just to talk a little bit about the pulse of, you know, what I'm hearing in the community um, as it relates to development. So super, super interesting for me to always listen to the dialogue that's happening, I think, in this country and to take from that, you know, how people are feeling about development and kind of where they're at. Now, um, I got to be honest with you, you know, we, we've had it happen with, um, there's the, the Miles Love, um, oh gosh, what's Miles' last name again? He, he's the, um, the Miles New Love. Um, he's the gentleman who's doing the helicopter project in, um, in Cayman Brack. And, you know, I remember when we had to go to the Brack and we went over some of what's happening with that project. I like to get information and I like to ensure that the information that we have is accurate because I think what ends up happening is people take a position on something, uh, which, you know, you have a right to do, but sometimes people take a position and they're not entirely informed at all, partially. It's really just their opinion. It's not based on facts. There's so many things that are in that bag. That's, you know, kind of, kind of mixed up now, of course, you know, <laughs> I think that the reason why you want to have correct information is that you really want to ensure that the positions that you're coming to, the opinions that you have formed are, are correct. Um, so in a second here, I'm going to just bring up a little a bit of a, a presentation that we've been provided um, by the developers and some of the things that they're able to inform us about. So, I think Cayman is is at a very interesting um, sort of juncture in inner development, right? Everybody sees a need for a comprehensive development plan. Without a doubt, this is something that the island needs and that we should have. Uh, lots of governments, quite frankly, have um, failed us in this regard. They simply haven't done it. And for that reason, there's a lot of development that is happening that is very sort of ad hoc, you know, there's no master plan. We, we know this to be the case and whatever master plan we had dates back so long is so woefully outdated that you might as well not have one. Things have changed. There've been changes in, um, you know, our desire to, to really protect the environment, for example, and, and what does that mean and what does that look like? And in the interim, and I think in the mix, we have developers who have no real sense of what the direction is for this country. So literally there are developers who are like, right, I've got this project, here's how I think it's going to benefit the people of the Cayman Islands, but the government officials and others can't say to them, 
yes, this is going to be a benefit to us as a community, as a country. And here's why, because it fits in with our overarching development plan. And this is why, you know, we think that we can support this project or not. Um, What will be the environmental impact of these projects? And so it's, it's really, really discouraging, I think, from the perspective of some developers that, um, you know, there's that uncertainty. And I've had this discussion before, and I think it is certainly worth uh, having again, because no one likes uncertainty in business. I am a small business owner, and I can tell you even from just my perspective, the worst thing in the world is uncertainty. Uncertainty makes business owners uneasy. They do not want to invest. Um, You know, if they don't know what, what the law it really is or how it's going to change or what the CPA is going to do or not do. The lack of certainty is something that can kill uh, business and kill development. I also think that there's some people who've taken this anti-development uh, position, regardless of what it is. We don't need any more development. We've developed enough. And I kind of wonder about the business acumen of these individuals, if they understand the importance of development, sustainable development, as it relates to the economy, for example. And here's what I was thinking. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday. Oh, you know, we've had enough development. We just need to stop. And so, and I thought, right, how many people, let me just figure this out, right? How many people, if development stopped right now, now mind you, during COVID, we saw a little bit of, we have to put a pause in everything. Okay, because of COVID, the country, entire country shut down. Y'all were complaining and moaning and groaning. I need to work. Construction workers need to get back to work. We've got projects. We've got this. If you said no more development, right, for the next 10 to 15 years, that's it. We've maxed out. You have an entire construction industry that's going to collapse. All of the things that are related to that. So it's not even just construction, but those people need housing. They supply the grocery stores with customers. They potentially eat out. They send money back home um, if they're part of the the foreign population. Um, It's local construction companies. So anytime Dart puts up a building, for example, he doesn't own a plumbing company. He doesn't own an electrical company. He subcontracts all of that stuff out to other companies. And a lot of those other companies are local companies, Caymanian-owned businesses. They own electrical companies. They're providing these services. I'll never forget, remember, uh, I think it's probably last year sometime, we were on here talking about some of these companies who take advantage um, of workers, allegedly, and the workers are calling into the program and saying, you know, they're not paying my salary. They're bringing in cheap foreign laborers. Uh, Hello. These are your own Caymanian people who are doing this, by the way, bringing in cheap foreign labor to work on these projects so that they can make as much money as possible on some of these massive developments. We saw the developers um, over at Davenport say, listen, you know, we work on a lot of different projects, but we're not going to allow people to take advantage of their workers if they're working on our project. And I thought that this was awesome. Big shout out to Paul, by the way, Uh, because essentially Paul said, listen, Yes, these companies came in and owned, and they try to support as many came in and owned, uh, you know, subcontractors as possible. They have a um, a service that they offer to us, but if they if we find out that they're not treating their workers well, and um, you know that has an impact on us as a company, we're not going to be doing business with individuals or paying people 
who have that type of, uh, you know, sort of business ethics, because that doesn't reflect on who we are as an organization. And I think that that's, I mean, it's admirable to hear companies saying that that's the position that they're going to take, right? So there's this immense trickle-down effect that I don't know that people get. So when people say to me, we, we don't need any more big projects, you know, we should stop it. And I think, hmm, when that happens, and there may come a day that it does happen, I want those same people to talk to the people who will no longer be able to sustain and support their families, who will no longer have an income. I want them to be able to say to them what the plan is for um, putting food on your table. Sustainable development is a thing, and I'm in complete agreement with sustainable development. But this concept that all development is bad to just you know, stop development. We don't need any more developers on island to me is really, really crazy. I think the other thing that people do is when they look at specific projects, they really put a lot of misinformation out there in the public. And that's one of the reasons that Spencer is joining us here in the program this morning, because as he is uh, in the process of preparing for his meeting this morning, we saw a, a sorry, the meeting this evening, we saw a number of comments on social media uh, that we were sending him like, hey, what is this all about? Can you give us some additional insight and some information? And as it turns out, people are really, really misinformed. And you're taking a misinformed uh, position to begin with, and then you are um, forming an opinion based on misinformation. You're pushing that out there on social media because we know, hello, COVID. <laughs> we know how easy that is to do, right? Everybody's an expert. So everyone is now an environmentalist. Everyone is a project expert. Everyone knows everything about the Mandarin Hotel project, or so they think. And so the reason why Spencer is going to be joining us here in a second is to really try to get some accurate information. So when someone said to me, oh, we have too many high-end units on island. We have too many hotels. I'm just like, what? Now, here's the interesting thing. I talk to people in DOT. I talk to people in the ministry. I talk to people in the in, at tourism sector. And in fact, when they are in high season, and I reconfirmed this yesterday, of course, COVID, you know, we've, we're not in full recovery mode um, as it relates to, to COVID yet, um, post-COVID, I should say, right? But when we are at our full stock of rooms, we have essentially about 80 to 90% uh, occupancy, which is basically full, right? You have nothing left. Um, that's really high demand. And it's one of the reasons that Cayman can, uh, under normal circumstances, command such a high rate in the region. One of the reasons why hotel rooms are so incredibly expensive here. But having said that, do you know that that means that if we're talking about growing our tourism industry, especially the, the um, stayover tourists, which we say tends to be better quality because they're going to spend more money. They're the ones who stay at a resort. They're the ones who, um, you know, eat out of, at restaurants. They're going to be potentially renting a car or using taxi services long term. You know, they're doing um, tours on island. They're not just here for four or five hours off of a cruise ship. So this also got me to thinking about not just development in terms of our development plan, like building and that sort of thing, but where has we as a country going in terms of tourism? On the one hand, we say that we want the high-end tourists, okay? They need high-end facilities. You don't bring in a high-end tourist and say, ooh, I'm going to expect you to stay at uh, a mom-and-pop bread and breakfast 
um, that would be considered, you know, a two-star property or maybe a one-star property. Those people have expectations. And I've talked about this even in relation to other projects such as the Ritz-Carlton. When you, uh, you know, are a client at that level and you go to the Ritz-Carlton, let's just be honest, there's certain things that you expect. There's a reason why they talk about the ladies and gentlemen at the Ritz-Carlton because you expect a particular experience. And if you don't get that experience, the Ritz-Carlton is not living up to their brand. And they're an international brand. So from, you know, from the second they get that franchise, if you will, there are certain expectations of how the property will be not just developed, but how it will operate and how it will run and everything from the food that they serve to the staff that they employ. All of these things are constantly um, under review and they have to be kept to that particular standard of the corporate brand. So it's not even just about the experience specific to the Cayman Islands. So I was thinking room stock for that particular clientele is not what people think. So when people say, we don't need any more, I'm like, what do you know about the room stock on island? Oh, I don't know anything about that. Mm. So how can you take a position that we don't need another high-end hotel if you don't even understand the room stock from the tourism perspective and how that works? The rental market, I was speaking to somebody else last night. And they were saying that one of the interesting things, because of that shortage in the room stock, a lot of people are converting their homes into Airbnb. So this is like the latest phenomena, right? Everybody thinks, oh, I can make tons of money if I take my little home. Doesn't matter what it looks like. It could be a shack. It could be a nice house. And I'll just turn it into an Airbnb. And out of desperation, uh, people are going to rent it. Well, maybe. But what you're actually doing, which is a knock-on effect, is you're actually removing availability from the domestic market. Why should you care about that? Well, you know, all y'all are the ones who are sitting down complaining about the increase in rent. Someone can pull, and, and this is real, this is happening, they pull their home off of the domestic market because they make more money from Airbnb. That pushes the, the rental cost. That's one of the factors that is pushing the rental cost up in this country. I know it for a fact. Recently, I came in contact with someone. Uh, she's a domestic worker and she had a friend who was letting her temporarily stay with them and uh, in their you know, Airbnb unit. And hello, the economy is starting to reopen. The borders have largely reopened. And they're like, honey, it's time for you to go. We, we need that facility back because we've got Airbnb renters who need to now come in because, the, you know, the country has reopened. During COVID, during the lockdown, it was fine. They may not have been, you know, um, making that kind of money. They didn't have it available because of what was going on. But there is a lessening of the domestic market of what's available simply because people are jumping on that Airbnb situation, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But one of the reasons that that is so lucrative is because uh, the room stock is really, really diminished in terms of the hotels. Cayman Airways. I want you all to think about how wide this discussion could be, right? So Cayman Airways, we know, is looking at um, extending their remit into where they're traveling to, right? Where they're able to do flights. California, Los Angeles, Canada, Brazil. These are things that would make Cayman Airways much more sustainable and less reliant in any sort of, um, you know, grant or subsidy from the government. It's one of the reasons why we purchase those MAX 8 planes, because they can go the longer distance. They're more fuel efficient. 
And that means that tourists who might have had to go through multiple steps through various carriers to be able to get to the Cayman Islands can now have the option of going direct on our national carrier. Again, where are they going to be staying when they get here? You're going to put them in the bushes? Uh, Moya says um, actually an area uh, government needs to look at is adding a property tax to all non-Caymanians, everyone that is not active or hold status and naturalizes Caymanian and maybe give a 40% discount on the property tax after they've achieved PR. This is a revenue stream government needs to look into since the majority of these developments are not for us Caymanians. How can you say, Moya, that it's not for you as a Caymanian? This is what I'm getting at. How do you come to that conclusion when it creates jobs and opportunities within the economy? Are you telling me that development and growth Although you might say, okay, this high-end, oh, I can't, I can't afford this high-end property. But do you understand the trickle-down effect of how that creates jobs? There might be administrative staffs, there's people running the strata boards, there are gardeners, there are, um, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities that are created by those facilities, housing being available. So I think that sometimes we need to understand not just a sim simplistic view of, oh, yes, let's introduce property taxes because that's going to put us in good stead. Hmm. The land of, oh, you don't have any taxes and that's why people want to come here and why people want to invest. Here's the thing. Right now, tourism is struggling in the Cayman Islands. Just last week, uh, Thursday, and I think it was Tuesday, I had various representatives from the tourism industry, drivers, taxi drivers, Caymanians, calling me saying, Sandy, listen, tourism has not returned. And despite our borders being open, we are hurting. We're barely making any money. We need an audience with the minister. Uh, we want an audience with you on CMR. This is a reality of what's happening. And on the other hand, I have people saying, we don't need tourism. Good, make them stay away. And I'm like, what? what, what is really going on here? Those are Caymanian families that are struggling right now because the industry hasn't gotten back to where it was. Whilst we were in lockdown, there were other jurisdictions. Turks and Caicos is a prime exa example. I think we wrote about this last year, where they have not only seen an increase in um, their tourism market, thanks to some of the decisions that we were making. But in addition to that, let me just refresh your memory. They were also um, seeing the best results as it relates to sales and property sales and real estate. Mm -hmm. They had a world record year according to their numbers. And what was so incredibly interesting is they used us, used the Cayman Islands. This is that September of 2021, TCI boasts extraordinary tourism and property sales figures amid the pandemic. And they specifically said, one of the reasons that we have done so well mm -hmm, is because people who would traditionally be going to the Cayman Islands are not going there because the country was closed and because of all the stuff that was in place and they were able to go to TCI. So ironically, in the middle of a pandemic, they were seeing record tourism numbers, 19% increase in their tourism, according to them. Real estate off the charts. 
I want all of you to remember when you're thinking about the development of this country and where it is that we're going, what projects we're looking at, what our future movements are, it cannot be done in isolation. Cayman is not an island anymore that time forgot. And it's certainly not an island all to its own. There are regional influences that impact us. There are international influences that impact us. So continue to pressure people unreasonably in this country, whether it's developers, Caymanians or others. And what you will see is that people will find an exit plan. They will find other options. And I can assure you that's probably the last thing that you want. Uncertainty in business is just, if you've never been in business before, you probably have no real concept of how that will make you make certain decisions to where to spend your money, where to develop, and so on. Governments that are making decisions that make you uncertain about your position will also chase away developers. I don't think that our position should be to chase away developers. And at some point, the day may very well come, morning, Jared, that you're going to have developers saying, you know what? I can go to TCI and I can put up this project and I'm not going to have the negativity surrounding it from uneducated people who don't even understand the project, who've not taken the time to listen, who've not taken the time to do any research, but they're just anti-development about every single thing. It's easy to be anti-development when you don't even understand what's going on. It's easy to be anti-development when you don't think that your bottom line is impacted by that. We've got two pillars of the economy, tourism and financial services. We've seen the hit that tourism can easily take with a singular pandemic. We've seen the hit that financial services can take as they continue to put the noose around our necks in terms of all sorts of benef um, beneficial interests, uh, FACTA, you know, all sorts of regulatory pressures in the name of let's keep financial services as clean as it possibly can be. And then other sectors that support those in terms of the country's GDP and where our money is actually made, we think that we can just shut them down and it doesn't matter, it's not gonna make an impact. To me, that's crazy. Good morning to Anna. Good morning to everybody else who's listening to the program. Let's bring Spencer in so that he can address some of the concerns uh, specific to the Mandarin Beach uh, development. Morning, Debbie. How are you doing, love? So good to see you. Good morning, Mr. Spencer Levine. Good. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Sorry I took up some of your time this morning. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoyed listening to the show so far. So, uh, Spencer, this is your first time here in the Cold Hard Truth. Yes. You know, we only have one ground rule, tell the truth. <laughs> It's simple. It's not Thank a problem. Thank you for joining us. No, it's, it's an absolute and In pleasure. fact, it is your first time on any talk show, radio, uh, or media, really, in the Cayman Islands as well. It is. You, you, you're my first. That's great. Yeah, so welcome. So, um, no, I, I appreciate you having me on. And, um, you know, we've been on, involved in the project for a couple of years now. But really, um, our involvement came out of, uh, we have, just a little background on us. We're a 43-year-old family-owned and operated um, development company, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we were we were engaged on this project in particular to help it come to life. 
and, and bring that professional development role um, to the project, working closely with the operator, working closely with the landowners, and most importantly, working closely with the government and the island and the community uh, surrounding the project. Um, mm -hmm. what's, what's exciting about this now is that we are getting to a point finally after the pandemic that we will be, you know, there's, there's action out there on the site. Uh, we are entitled and we are ready to uh, hopefully break ground formally later this summer. And I think it's the perfect time to reinvigorate uh, the conversation and make sure that, as you said, everyone's educated about what we're doing. Uh, I'm a strong believer in transparency. Uh, it, the, the more information that everyone has around a project, around a um, endeavor like this, uh, the, the less the less imagineering and creativity that needs to happen. And, and we can have very honest, uh, direct conversations, which is important because this project doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, it, it does, as you so eloquently pointed out, it has impacts throughout the food chain. It has impacts, you know, the, the and, it, and it can't happen alone. And we need everyone's involvement. We want everyone to be aware and we want to make sure that the conversation is accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's important. So... So in terms of, of accuracy, right? So there are people yeah. who are saying, so let, let's address some of the, the elephants in the room, if you will, uh, specific to your project. And then I see Melanie has jumped into the conversation. We have some people on WhatsApp who are also commenting. So sure. we'll read some of those here in a second. But um, we have um, people who say, well, why is this project taking so long? You guys got you know, approval four or five years ago. Um, you must be having financial issues. You know, what's what's going on um, in relation to that? So tell us exactly, you, yeah. you mentioned that your involvement is more recent. So give us a rundown on what has actually happened. And you're not the first people in, in terms of this project. What, what does that mean? Yeah, so I'll give you a little history. Um, I know there's been a lot of conversation about some of the, um, you know, addressing the elephants in the room, um, the the clearing work that's been going on down at the site. and. And something that I went back to last night, actually, just preparing overall, is uh, this project, this property was was previously, portions of it were previously developed as a condominium project. And actually, in the mid-2000s, um, there was a prior uh, development project that was actually underway. That the, the entire area that is now um, prepared for our for us to finish our geotechnical work and finish our engineering work. Um, that area was all cleared actually back in 2007, 2008 uh, for, for a previous project that would have just been uh, some, some condominiums on the site and the associated uh, work. Our, so, so our involvement, um, my team's involvement, RIL's involvement stems back about four years now, uh, really to about 2018 is when we got fully engaged. Mm -hmm. um, starting with the Coastal Works project that we uh, undertook with the land ownership and with the government. Uh, and I think people who uh, recall what the, the beach and the jetty and the structure looked like prior to 2018, uh, it was badly damaged during Hurricane Ivan. Uh, and there was actually no environmental functionality to that jetty structure in the Coastal Work. And we were losing more sand than we were creating. Um, there was no marine life in the swimming area, and the rocks were haphazardly put back. And we worked very closely with the government 
um, with the DOE, with central planning to, uh, yeah, the, the image on there is actually the prior clearing. So that, that picture is probably around 2008. Um, mm -hmm. And you can kind of see the swimming area too. Um, so in 2018, we did a very in-depth coastal works project, working very closely with government, with DOE. Um, we do, I mean, the, the, the environmental sustainability, the beach access, the, the, the fact that the beach is an active turtle nesting ground, uh, those are all very important to us. Um, we, we, we recognize that and we wanted to actually enhance the beach and the marine functionality um, rather than privatize it. And that's something that we undertook at a cost of over $2 million, actually private, private funds uh, to improve the beach. So that was our initial involvement. And uh, we also at that time were working closely to bring in Mandarin Oriental uh, who will operate this hotel uh, who has a, an unbelievable sustainability uh, program globally also. So talking about environmental consciousness and sustainability. Um, but really just, you know, my, my father always says that development projects and, and projects like this are, you know, they're not like bread. You don't mix together the ingredients, put it in the oven and 15 minutes or an hour later it comes out. Or something. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes time. And, and the time that we, we all put in up front makes a difference down the road. And I think um, while we were shovel ready when COVID hit, we all took the opportunity during COVID to focus on uh, you know, things that we could improve. Obviously we could not start construction, you know, construction trades and, and um, work uh, manpower was, was tremendously reduced during COVID. The island mm -hmm. was shut down. Um, so we took this opportunity to kind of reevaluate a lot of the design and reevaluate mm -hmm. some of the, the goals and ambitions of the project. And I think during that time, uh, the master plan that we have in place now that, that um, is, in, is entitled Shovel Ready, it's actually portions of it are, have their building permit in place, um, is something that I think we can all be proud of. You know, we've we've taken a look at consolidating the footprint of the development, really pushing buildings together, trying to reduce the amount of area that will be impacting. Low impact development is something that I, I'm a trained landscape architect um, with um, both of my degrees, my, my bachelor and my master's are in landscape architecture. So nature, landscape, site is, is a major uh, consideration for me in every project that I do. I, I need to feel right about what we're doing. And low impact development is is the number one way to start that process. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we consolidated buildings. We, um, we, we listened to the feedback that we got during the CPA process in 2019. And we actually removed at great financial cost to the project, mm -hmm. um, nine rooms that were considered the, the, the beach beach suites, we took them away. You know, they were behind the setback lines. They were behind any of the regulatory um, requirements, but mm -hmm. they, they didn't feel right from an environmental standpoint or from a footprint standpoint. And we took them out. So we removed those nine rooms from the beach and really pushed the development back and, and address the coastline from a landscape design basis first and foremost. So we have this kind of rolling dune landscape now. 
um, we did, you know, we've, so, we've Spencer, let me, let me just pause you there one second. Cause we're going to get into, um, some of the details of the actual, um, design, but I just want to, I just want to clarify one thing that you just said. So these photos that we're looking at, which are in circulation saying, yep. oh my gosh, look at what's going on with this project. You're telling me that these photos are actually from 2008. Yes. Those are from 2008. And from another project project that never happened. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So someone um, sent this out and they said the blue mean high water mark is in the sea. So, of course, there has been this um, ongoing concern about not just the high water mark, but also what we see happening on Seven Mile Beach, where properties that have been built too close to the shoreline have actually, um, you know, as, yeah. as Mother Nature does what she does and she needs to retake elements yeah. of the beach. Um, that that has happened. So, what does this mean when somebody says the the blue mean high water mark is in the sea? So, so I think one of the the greatest attributes of this property, you know, that the I know that it's been a a, a big point of conversation lately and on the island, um, the the um, rising rising sea levels and the mm-hmm. impact it's had to Seven Mile Beach and. And, right. and the directive by government was, you know, is the, is the move east. Um, what what is amazing about our site is the topography. We actually are at a higher elevation, one of the highest elevations on the island, um, which means that our development is built and positioned and takes uh, its direction from global standards as far as how. Uh, elevation and buildings relate. So our buildings are all well above any floodplain. They are well above any flood elevation as it relates to storms or just natural storm uh, sea level rise. Um, and I think, you know, we have one of the deepest beaches on the island. And I, and when I say we, that that beach is accessible to to the public. We've gone to great lengths to enhance that access through Beach Bay Road. Uh, we'll be adding pedestrian access along Beach Bay Road. There's portions of private land where, that were actually dedicated back through the planning process to ensure that there is permanent public accessibility to that beach. Um, but, you know, I think, again, it's a, it's a really important point of information going back to what you were saying earlier, which is, um, there are pieces of information that are out there floating around, but without the knowledge base to understand what those acronyms like the mean high water mark and, and things like that mean, mm-hmm. I, I think they can be used. They're a tool and they're also a weapon, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that I'm happy to have the conversation. I like having mm-hmm. these conversations. Um, you know, the develop, the, the drawing on top actually shows the, the buildings that we completely removed from the plan. So mm-hmm. even though we were far behind um, the bottom drawing, actually, if you that yellow line um, marks really that that's our absolute setback, and I believe the elevation there is somewhere in the twelve or thirteen, which is um, uh, you know far in excess of any flood elevation. So um, again, I think it's just having the information, knowing how to use it or knowing mm-hmm. how to understand it is really important through the process. And we're mm-hmm. here to, to, to answer those questions and, and right. be part of it. 
and make sure that everyone knows what what information is out there and what they have. That's a, that, those diagrams, I believe, were diagrams that were put together by the DOE, which mm-hmm. we've worked very closely with. You should, everyone should know that the, the process works. Um, it's a highly regulated development process on island. And um, it's, it's been very, uh, I think it's very satisfying as a, as a landscape architect to know that these kind of protections are in place for amazing places like mm-hmm. Grand Cayman. Right. So um, one of the things, Melody does make a comment here about the room stock. And she says that, um, she says, morning, that there's many hotel rooms that are becoming on, online. Grand Hyatt, Hilton, GT1, offering high-end to business suites, all under construction for a while now. And don't forget the original Hyatt that they're waiting to be rebuilt, such as such an eyesore, in her opinion. And they also have been multiple boutique offerings, just saying this, they're that is massive growth compared to prior years. As for the tourism product, we've been told that we don't have enough attractions and popular ones are overcrowded. One time there was, and then her comment got cut off. So one of the interesting things about this road stock, and I want to remind us about government's Go East initiative. So some years back, I'm trying to remember, um, you know, kind of when this initiative uh came about and who under which government but government i think is back in 2006 and the tourism minister at the time charles clifford had spearheaded what was called the go east project where basically the outer districts Bodentown, north side and east end were looking at um trying to you know encourage businesses uh and tourist business in that region of the island as opposed to it all being concentrated in just a seven mile beach quadrant. So I think it's really, really interesting. Mel, thank you for your comments. But are all of those projects not concentrated in the overly populated seven mile beach area? So really what's happening on seven mile beach, there's two things and these are, this will be part of our ongoing conversation as it relates to development on this island. There will be projects, Lacovia is an example, where a, a facility has come to sort of you know, functional life end, and it needs to be redeveloped. You can either redevelop it as it is, and, you know, the existing footprint, which is too close to the shoreline, all these other things that we're talking about, or you can look at bringing it back from the shoreline, but that's going to require you to compromise on something, which means that you have to go up. And we see Caymanians fighting against that as well. We don't, we don't want any taller, taller buildings. We don't want to go up. Here's what an interesting um, you know, observation that has been made. So this person says, um, as it relates to development, they say Cayman is not overdeveloped. It's developing. For perspective, Manhattan is ha- one-fifth, sorry, the size of Grand Cayman, both islands. One has 8 million people. The other has 80,000. People need perspective. Development is inevitable because the population grows simply because of the birth rate. To stop development, you have to stop the birth rate. China tried that and it didn't work. Manhattan is 13 square miles and Grand Cayman is 78 square miles, FYI. Hmm. Very, very interesting. All right. So, um, Michael, thank you, Lizette. Good morning. Michael says all that's in the swim area right now is seaweed. Well, that's... (laughs) And, and, and unfortunately, I think that's something that not only the island is struggling with, but really the, the entire Caribbean. Um, and it's something that I think we all need to work together to resolve. Uh, it, is, it is certainly an issue. Uh, and it does impact everything. It impacts tourism. It impacts quality of life. Um, but it also is an environmental 
you know, it, it's, um, it's an environmental situation that we all need to deal with together. Um, mm -hmm. But it is, there is definitely seaweed in the swimming area right now. Mm. All right. Um, Eden has a comment here. So Eden says that, uh, good morning. Does he understand that small communities like this don't want resorts? Uh, they don't want big resorts in their quiet little neighborhoods. Leave Barkas and Beach Bay alone. So that's interesting because what what was the um, what was the point of the Go East initiative? Like, what was envisioned for that? Did we have any sort of a plan of of what that was supposed to look like? Uh, what has been the feedback, really, um, Spencer, that you've received in terms of this development from local residents? And do you see it as being too massive, too big? to whatever for what people are saying is a residential community. And going back to my initial comments about um, how the process works, um, the you know, development doesn't, again, de development doesn't just happen. We don't decide what's going to go there and just, you know, that's what gets built. Um, it's a highly regulated, highly involved process working closely with, with government, working with, you know, the, the local community, um, DOE, the NRA, uh, everyone has their hand in the process. And by doing that, you're getting something that conforms to guidelines, laws, zoning. Those are all things that, you know, that, that are applied to the land before you even come up with, with the development scenario. So um, it's, I, I think the, the feedback that we got throughout this, the, develop, the entitlement process and just, just to give you guys a, a point of reference, the initial planning consent for the hotel area was filed uh, in, in 2018. And mm -hmm. so it's a long process. Mm -hmm. And, um, or I guess early 19, sorry. Uh, it's a very long process that has lots of opportunities for people to participate, uh, I hate the word object, but object is actually part of the process mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and and get involved. So we've had so many iterations of review discussion. We've been involved now through multiple governments and mm -hmm. um, that process continues through the implementation of the project. So I think that, you know, we've gotten, uh, you know, with any project, you know, it, again, it comes down to education and information and um, these projects can't happen in a vacuum. So um, it's something that, that um, you know, the, the opportunity to participate and then that input now as we move forward, as we get going with construction, we're going to want everyone to know what's going on. Um, we'll be developing a website that will be accessible to the community to know, you know, the construction look ahead for the next couple of weeks. So if there's any major construction going on, people will know. Um, it's all part of the process. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, we see your project data here in terms of, um, you know, the various uh, phases of the project. Why the meeting this evening? You're saying that you're getting closer to actually um, getting started? Yes, we are. Uh, we have finally gotten through the building permit process for the two hotel um, buildings. And uh, we, we anticipate breaking ground later this summer, as anyone who has been out there will see. We've started some of that site preparation work. We did demolish the old condominium building that was on site. 
Um, and starting to prepare, we're also doing a very in-depth geotechnical analysis. And all that's being done by local contractors, uh, local engineers, um, trying to keep and, and perform as much of that on island as possible, because that, that's very important to us, too. And it's, it's important moving forward. You know, this is about the pre-construction jobs and, and interaction. It's about the construction uh, process. This, this project will obviously have, um, you know, a, a very large population of construction workers. And then it's a, it'll be a large operating property, which will require participation, internship opportunities, um, and employment. Mm-hmm. Through an amazing operator, a globally known, um, globally attracting operator. So that's mm-hmm. that's really where we're at. We're we're moving forward, and we want to make sure that everyone knows what's going on, and and that that's very important to us as we move forward. All right, folks. So some information here on your screen in terms of um, project data. Um, so it's going to be both a resort and residences. We do have additional comments that are coming in. Eden says, why not just, um, well, first of all, he says Manhattan is an urban jungle. Is that what we want to emulate? Cannot compare uh, a SIDS with a single city in a state within a country. And he's saying, why not take an existing um, piece of property and just go build on that? So what is available um, in terms of existing um, developed land? I mean, we, we see that nothing is really available on the seven yep. quadrant, that's for sure. And I, I also think it's important to point out that this was the, the vast majority of the land that is being impacted by this, this the hotel and residential that's shown on the master plan uh, in front of us, um, is was previously compromised and cleared in a kind of failed effort to develop the site. So. We do recognize that, and I think it's something, as I mentioned, low-impact development, the less area that needs to be cleared, uh, and then the more focused we can be in implementing the program that will benefit everyone is really uh, is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So another interesting question um, or comment that has come in, and, and I want to address this because I think this is interesting. So Jonathan says, 10 to 1, if you ask if locals will be allowed in the property, the answer will be, oh, yes, all locals will be welcome. And then when it's completed, they're going to have all kinds of security telling all the locals to get out. This is private property. So I, I want to, this this reminds me um, of when <laughs> DART was, um, we heard about the Kamana Bay and everybody was like, oh, yeah, Caymanians are not going to be able to go there. They're going to have the only cinema, Caymanians won't be able to go to the movies anymore. I mean, there was just rhetoric that um, I found to be at the time very, very interesting. And in fact, not only are Caymanians allowed to go there, I would say that the vast majority of people who go there and enjoy the amenities are, you know, local residents and Caymanians alike. So much so that a lot of you just go and drop off your children without any supervision or care. And now they're destroying the property at Caymana Bay. But yet, when they were being built, oh, locals won't be welcomed. Well, it seems like you've had an open door welcome um, to some of these properties. So I think that that's an interesting position to take. But I want you now to respond to that comment, uh, Spencer, when it comes to um, locals being t- able to access your facility. I mean, obviously, it is a hotel and a residence. So people who are paying clients at the hotel or the residence will you know, have access to the amenities and the facility and so on. But what's your position on, first of all, local jobs and opportunities, even at the early stages now? 
uh, construction coming up and yes. for the foreseeable future, employing people at your resort, at your facility and welcoming, you know, Caymanian guests as well. All right. So I'll take it in two pieces from, from a jobs perspective. Um, we are very, working very closely, as I mentioned, with local engineers, local contractors. Uh, our construction will be led by uh, a local contractor here on island who we're working with. Um, and, and that effort will result in, you know, we anticipate at its peak, there could be as many as 500 construction jobs available on this project. Um, and then uh, moving forward, as I mentioned, from each step has its own demands for employment. And then mm -hmm. as we as we complete the project and we start to turn it over for operations, uh, Mandarin is an incredible employer who will require, they anticipate their staffing plan right now looks at having approximately 300 employees on this uh, project. And that goes mm -hmm. everything, like you mentioned earlier, that's everything from um, landscapers to front desk staff to you know the the full range that's going to be required to operate so that's on the employment front there's going to be vast amounts of opportunity we are working we are focused on making sure that we draw from the island first and foremost um, there i'm sure will be opportunities there will be necessities to bring in specialty labor or or things from from off island, but that's something that happens after we draw from island first. Um, if from a convenience standpoint, it's always going to make sense for a property of this size and scale to work closely with the community, the local community, to get that done. From from a public access to the facility, I mean, there's 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 no gate. Um, this is something. This is a destination resort. Uh, unlike a lot of the developments that have been built on island, where you pointed out Sandy so so well, um, you know they they are in the the density of it. Um, this is somewhere where people are going to go to, and and all are welcome. Um, and I think it's important to note also throughout the planning process, this was imposed on the development as well, and imposed and happily accepted, I should note. Um, but you know beach access. We talked about our private investment in the in in the beach improvements. That's not our land. That's that's the Queensland. That's that's part of um, yeah. That's public land. We'll call it, um, and it will remain publicly accessible in perpetuity. And you know the enhancements that we're providing along Beach Bay Road to make sure that pedestrians and cars alike can easily get to the beach and use that beach. Um, the dedication of lands. Uh, private land to to dedicate them to be publicly public land and publicly accessible throughout the planning process is something that we we worked closely with the CPA and and other authorities having jurisdiction to get those controls in place to ensure the long term long term permanent accessibility by the public accessibility and enjoyment I should say. And um, I think that's something that's important. We're, we don't, we, we want to build this development to be part of the island. We're not, mm -hmm. we're, we're building it with the island and not just for the island. Uh, and that's something that we speak a lot about on all of our projects. You can't do this in a vacuum. You can't, mm -hmm. um, we, we can't build a pariah. That the idea is that we're building something that could be, um, 
useful to everything. I'd love to address that comment that just popped up. Yes. So Melanie says, it would be wonderful if they would reconsider their position to provide for turtle-friendly lighting throughout the entire project in line with DOE recommendations. There, there's no reconsideration because we have actually incorporated turtle-friendly lighting throughout the entire project. Um, so one of the, as I mentioned, the process is highly regulated and there is there are those um, conditions or recommendations that come from the different referring agencies and turtle-friendly lighting is something that we've incorporated since day one. The condition itself was actually to provide a turtle-friendly lighting plan prior to pulling a building permit. And we have since done that for the portions of the project that have applied for building permit. And as I said, the you know, there's there was a recognition from day one that this is an active turtle beach and it should remain an active turtle beach. And we are going to do everything to actually support that. Um, and actually it's something that Mandarin has also taken um, specific interest in as well as they go forward crafting their program, crafting their site specific um, you know, kids programming or, or overall um, experiential programming for guests and residents uh, around because it's truly unique. And um, mm -hmm. we certainly don't want to impede the, the turtle success on that beach. Mm -hmm. We want to enhance it if possible. So Matrix says, I'm so glad that this development is coming to this area as a generational Caymanian from this area. I say welcome to the Mandarin. Uh, there are a lot of people who have expressed to me that they you know, feel the exact same way because it's creating job opportunities as part of the Go East initiative, which means that people don't have to get in that traffic in the morning and drive to um, any of the, the hotels in Sudma Beach in order to potentially have employment opportunities. Um, it also, you know, opens up the window for people in East End, North Side, and so on to have additional um, support services when it comes to tourism that could be easily accessible and it drives traffic in that direction from the Beach Bay uh, point instead of them having to come from either Central Georgetown, if it's cruise shipping and busing people out there, um, less traffic as a possibility as well. Um, so additional comments coming in. Here's another one on WhatsApp. They, this person says that um, the cave, which is Caymanians against virtually everything. <laughs> First time I'm hearing that one. Uh, people don't use logic and reason. Unfortunately, they're the same people that believe Cayman Kai is natural. <laughs> Cayman was 80% swamp. And most of this has been reclaimed. Even Shedden Road, where I grew up, was all swamp. Seven Mile Shops and Queen's Court was all swamp. So I think the point is, you know, if the cave were around maybe 60, 70 years ago, or 50, 40, 30 years ago, when some of these other complexes were being developed, they would have said no to all of that. Um, because leave it alone, it's swamp land, and you can't build in anything swamp. And then, of course, you wouldn't be able to build in 80% of the island. Uh, this person goes on to say, nobody wants to destroy Cayman, but Caymanians have had a long history of sustainable development, such as Cayman Kai. Another comment on WhatsApp says, the high water mark issue also relates to local access to the beach, as it is being in the water would mean that no one would be able to enjoy the beach as that would be the hotel's quote unquote property. So let's talk a little bit about this beach access since it has come up again as, as a question. Yeah. Um, so, so beach access is required at certain intervals uh, along the shoreline as part of the underlying code and, and, and regulations. Uh, we have provided that, but in addition, what we've also looked at doing 
along Beach Bay Road, we've actually committed to providing a widened access there so that the Beach Bay Road is actually mapped down to the High Willamette. Uh, and we have, we've provided land there. Uh, the, in addition, the, um, the area at the terminus of Beach Bay Road has been perpetually um, deeded over to the public for, for, the, for additional access to ensure. Um, you know, beach access is gonna be encouraged. People are using and enjoying that beach right now. There's nothing that necessarily changes with the development because um, I mean, honestly, it's, and those are the before pictures before the mm -hmm. uh, project that uh, on the screen. Um, mm -hmm. But there's, you know, I was down on site yesterday and there were probably 10, 15 people in, enjoying the beach, even with the Sargasso issue. Um, so beach access is there, the, the beach is there, it's not going anywhere. We are not um, impacting the, the, that, that depth that exists there. If anything, actually our coastal works uh, package in, engineered it to actually accrete additional sand, which is part of the natural process that wasn't happening before. So you've got a much uh, sandier, much, much more beachy experience mm -hmm. there because it's now functioning functioning correctly. Um, but I think there is this misinformation that's been around. Honestly, we've been talking about it for years because there is a, you know, there, there's a right to access and, and that right is preserved. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it that we're looking at here in these photos that are on the screen? So, this is yeah. So that was, uh, there was a 16 unit condominium building that was on site um, that actually involved in, in order to put together this land, um, involved multiple transactions to actually uh, get to the point where that building could be vacated and taken down. Uh, that was an old condo. I think it was built in the late seventies. Um, it was built incredibly close to the beach because as you noted, there weren't those guidelines and regulations at that point. Mm -hmm. um, we have since, as part of our site preparation, we've taken down that building. Uh, that building also, I mean, it didn't really meet any current building codes. So um, it, I don't think there, there's no loss there. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that was the demolition of the building in okay. December of last year. Um, these are some of the pictures of the site preparation that's going on out there now. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what we've been doing is we've actually been basically just clearing away the, um, the abandoned construction works from that earlier 2008 or 2007-ish project uh, and, and taking away the overgrowth and mm -hmm. getting to a point where this is really our baseline of where we build from. Uh, one of the other things that I didn't mention early on is we've actually used the time over COVID also to kind of redesign how the buildings fit within the landscape mm -hmm. to minimize the amount of excavation and rock removal. It was something that came up, um, you know, and as it should have throughout the, the CPA planning consent process in 2019 and um, about the noise and, and the effort that it takes to, to remove that subsurface um, it's not soil in this place, it's all rock. Um, so we've, we've actually been able to adjust and redesign the buildings to limit and reduce that excavation by almost 80%, uh, which, which is, a, is a great success as well. 
Um, this these pictures are just we've um, taken it upon ourselves to do enhanced geotechnical engineering, uh, something that we feel strongly will benefit you know the project in the long run, but really also understanding and truly truly uh, acknowledging those subsurface conditions. It's a very different subsurface condition than Seven Mile Beach. Seven Mile Beach is is a pile um, type building environment. This is actually uh, most of these buildings get built on some kind of mat or uh, slab foundation where we're not uh, putting piles, um, but this is all confirmatory. And this is all being done with local engineers and contractors as well. Mm -hmm. All right, um, thanks for that. So uh, Jonathan says, don't get me wrong, I'm pro-development. I just know how it goes. Mouth will say one thing and actions will be something else. So, of course, you know, we have seen that in the past, um, to be quite honest, uh, Spencer, where people do make promises and then uh, they don't live up to that. Uh, what what will make your development any different in terms of other, th other than the cool hard truth is here? <laughs> and obviously we're going to be keeping an eye on the situation. Um, you know, what will ensure that you do the things that you are saying that you will do, even in terms of, you know, employment and construct, I mean, the construction part of things, we know that we've got some oversight, yep. um, you know, from the, the government regulatory authorities, but, you know, we'll still be keeping an eye on things. But, you know, once your facility opens, we want to see opportunities created for Caymanians, for example, uh, who want to come into the facility, training opportunities, um, internships. Yep. So tell us a little bit bit about what you have in mind for those yeah. things. And I think what um, what really differentiates this project from, from any of the others, and it actually differentiates it from other projects that we've worked on or observed elsewhere in the world, uh, is the team. And I think you've got a truly dedicated team here. You've got an amazing operator uh, bringing in, really drawing drawing a global recognition of this project and, and a um, you know, this, this global operator has proven it time and time again throughout the world, how they work with local communities or work with properties like this uh, to, to manage and operate them and, and do that in the best interest of, of those locales that they're in. Um, I'd be happy to come on the show as we, as we move forward with the project, potentially with um, the operations team. And I mm -hmm. think they, they can further discuss how they operate these projects and who they operate them with. And um, they, you know, they've made commitments to us that seem seem extreme even in, in to us. But they are really they um, they believe in the location. They believe in the opportunities on island. Uh, and I think they'll talk. They can speak more to their kind of uh, global initiatives as it relates to employment and community engagement and things like that. Um, yeah, I did get last night some some information from them on their global environmental initiatives. There's probably no more environmentally sensitive operator out there. Uh, and they they make very bold commitments and they, they manage to pull through. There's a, there's a tremendous financial backing to them. Um, and there's a real there's a real uh, there's there's a real brand there. It's not, we're not buying a flag. We're, we're buying an operator and a commitment. So. 
So Liana says, I love the design and development. Recommend for post-construction janitorial. So Michael says that you guys are the developers, not the people who are actually going to be running the hotel. So basically he can he can say what he wants, but Mandra will be the ones with security guards telling us to leave the property. So I think you've just addressed that. Um, anything further that you'd like to say to Michael and others who share that concern? No, I, I think it's a legitimate concern. And I think, um, you know, as I said, the, the, the beach and the accessibility is there. It's built into the plan, the, the access, the accessibility. The, this is a destination. So we want people mm -hmm. to come. We want this to become a food and beverage destination on island. We want people to enjoy it just as they would go to a restaurant that might be in a strip center here. Um, they go to the restaurant at the Mandarin Oriental. Uh, this is, it, it, it should be a accessible destination to everyone. Um, and, I, and I think that's something, um, as, we, as we move forward, all I can say is we, we have commitments. We, we believe in Mandarin as the operator. They've proven time and time again around the globe that they, they operate in locations uh, like this. And I, and I think they're committed to being part of the, the island community. Mm -hmm. And we are, I mean, the, the, as the developers, as the development team, we, in the end, the operator does work for the development team. So, um, you know, you mm -hmm. have that assurance as well. All right, folks. So in case you don't know much about the Mandarin Oriental Hotel uh, Group, International Limited, they are a Hong Kong uh, hotel investment and management group focusing on luxury hotels, resorts, and residences. They've got 33 properties around the world. Um, 20 of which are fully or partially owned by the MOHG, which is the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group. Um, so they've been around, it seems, um, for quite some time, established in 1985, following the merger of the Mandarin International Hotels Limited and the holding company of the hotels, of the hotel, the Oriental. So um, it says uh, that their history dates back to 1963, with the opening of its namesake hotel, the Mandarin, which is now Mandarin Oriental in Hong Kong. So very, very um, interesting sort of background um, in terms of the, the brand itself. And uh, are there any in the Caribbean? Are there any in Jamaica uh, or other properties? Everyone was not a ground up. It was a rebranding and that's in Kanawan. Um, Sorry, where, where's that one? In Kanawan. And okay. I, um, I can get you the information on that, but that's the only existing one. Uh, there are others under development as well, and they are uh, they have offices in Atlanta as well. So they're while they're headquartered in Hong Kong, they are quickly becoming. They are a global brand. Uh, mm -hmm. Miami and uh, there are other U.S. locations. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's incorporated in uh, Bermuda, listed in London, uh, Singapore, and uh, just reading a few things here. Um, so the group is operates from Victoria City. Okay. Very, very interesting. Uh, Spencer, we want to thank you. We know that you have a lot to do in preparation for this evening's meeting. Um, we have Melinda says beautiful. She's joining us at uh, Loretta. Good morning to you. Gabby says, I know the Mandarin, all you can eat buffet, <laughs> good food, <laughs> laughing out loud. Um, so 
you know, we thank you for at least coming on and answering some of the questions as it relates to this project. I'm yeah. sure that you'll have additional information. So tell our listeners a little bit about the event this evening, where they can find it, how they get there, and uh, what you're going to be doing, you know, at the event, at Perfect. the community uh, meeting. Yeah. So uh, the 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 event this evening is a community information session. We really, it's going to be a lot of really what we just discussed. Um, go through some images and some plans, and really just give everyone an update on where we are uh, and and the timeline moving forward. Talk about how we intend to communicate moving forward and things like, as I mentioned, the website and some other items. Um, it'll be an opportunity for people to ask questions. Happy to answer whatever I possibly can. And uh, you know, the the cold hard truth theory can can continue to this evening. I'm more than happy to. Uh, hit on whatever anyone has. Um, it will be held out on site. Unfortunately, we, try, we tried for a more public local um, option, but all of the civic centers were actually being used for other uh, functions this week. So we're gonna be holding it on site. At, uh, there is a house on the property at 469 Beach Bay Road. Um, and it's at the end of Beach Bay Road on the left side. And we will have signage and there will be parking available on site if needed. And we look forward to seeing whoever comes out. And we'll be there to live stream it as well. So in case people are not able to make it, they can still hear um, the full presentation and any additional questions. So we do have one question that has just come in asking whether or not this hotel or luxury development offers timeshares. I don't think it's that type of property, but. There, there are no timeshares in the property. There's the residential product and there's the hotel. And uh -huh. the idea is, is that, um, you know, since hotel rooms are so important to the overall tourism kind of food chain, uh, the idea is that the residential units can, residential unit owners can participate in the hotel pool and could put those larger units into that hotel operation uh, if they choose to. And, but um, yeah, there's no timeshares. All right, so the time this evening for the event is 7 p.m. Yep, sorry. Okay, Jonathan talking about work permits coming in from China. All right, folks, uh, Spencer, thank you for spending a little bit of your morning with us and uh, we'll continue folks to keep you all updated and on, on what the latest is in terms of this project. Uh, we're all very, very interested. Obviously they have full CPA and planning approval. They're looking to break ground soon. So we wanted to update everyone on where this development is going, what changes have been made, because again, like they said, they took some time during the pandemic to reevaluate um, everything from some aspects of the design and room stock and so on, and made some changes, which they say is more environmentally friendly. And, um, you know, some of your concerns should have been alleviated today uh, with some more accurate information down to the, the turtle friendly lighting um, and the, the, the setbacks and the beach access and all these other things have already been addressed. So again, uh, Mr. Spencer Levine, who is basically, um, you know, the developer for the pr uh, project has joined us exclusively this morning. You'll not hear him anywhere else here on the Cool Hard Truth. Um, stay tuned this evening. We will live broadcast the meeting, so I will be there. And if you have any additional questions that you'd like to send in interim that we can ask on your behalf, please feel free to do so. Tips at caymanmallroad.com, or you can also send it to the WhatsApp numbers. We've got multiple of those. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, Spencer. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for everyone's time. Okay.
The developers of the Mandarin Oriental Beach Bay Project would be honored to have you attend this one-of-a-kind Q&A information session. We are committed to community engagement and transparency and working closely with the people of the Cayman Islands. The journey begins soon, and we want you to be part of it. Come and have your questions answered and learn more about all the phases of this project, from inception to completion and beyond. This project is destined to be a major development for both the Beach Bay community and the Cayman Islands as a whole. So please join us on June 7th at 469 Beach Bay Road for a community meeting. We look forward to having you there. Light refreshments will be served. All right, folks. Um, so today is Tuesday, the first day of the week. We had a long holiday weekend. Hope that you guys got to enjoy some of the festivities in honor of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Uh, first time in British history that a monarch has served 70 years on the uh, throne. And I'm going to bet, I'll put my money on it. I'm not really a betting person, as you guys know, but I would put a little dollar on this that she's probably going to be the last person, <laughs> the first and the last, to ever reach um, 70 years on the throne. It just isn't going to happen ever again. Um, first of all, you know, she started her reign very, very young, and she has had a very lengthy uh, life at age 96. And, um, you know, she's starting to slow down just a little bit. Her son, um, how, how old is Prince Charles? He's got to be at least in his 60s already. So it would be impossible for him <laughs> to live that long um, to, you know, make it 70 years on a throne. Um, his son already, you know, I think Prince... William, what is he? He's got to be maybe in his early 40s now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think that any of them. So he, listen, Prince Charles is already 73 years old. So say Her Majesty um, is at a commission in a couple years, right? He would be like 75 before he gets a throne. My gosh, old and old. <laughs> so uh, 75 that he might, you know what, he might set a, set a record for being the oldest person to obtain a, a, a monarch um, ever, probably at 75. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And then his son, I want to say Prince, um, let me see how, what, how old Prince William is. How old is he? He is, he's already 39 years old. So, you know, say Charles gets it at 75 and he serves for a good, yeah, they, they're, they're long livers. So they're going to, longevity runs in the family. So say, say Prince Charles uh, takes it at uh, 75 and he gets a good 10 years. That's 85. Even give him 20 years. By the time Prince William is ready, um, I don't know. Nobody else is going to make 70 years is my point. It just isn't going to happen. So um, Her Majesty enjoyed a delightful weekend. We saw um, her spending some time with um, her other uh, grand grandson, um, Prince Harry. He's no longer, is he still considered a prince? I don't even know what the titles are. Duke, Duke of Sussex, I think they stripped them of some titles, but I think he's still Prince Harry. And uh, their little daughter, Lilibeth, turned one years old over the weekend during the celebrations and they had a little party for her there in the UK where they are, uh, they've joined the Royal family for the Queen's Jubilee um, celebrations. So remember they were not permitted on the like balcony because that was an official working members. The Queen made a decision working members, which excluded her other son um, of the Royal family only, but they've been, you know, participating in other uh, events during the four day public holiday weekend. 
And, um, you know, they didn't make an, a, pub, a public appearance on Friday at the royal event um, that was held. It was a Thanksgiving service for the monarch. So they have been participating. That was at St. Paul's Cathedral in some of the celebrations over the weekend. Now, I got to tell you what has really been uh, trending is the photos of um, and the videos of Megan, not Megan, um, Princess, uh, oh gosh, uh, oh gosh, Donnell, too many names, uh, Princess William's wife, Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, um, the photos of their children during the weekend events uh, were trending, and especially, I think he might be the youngest son. Oh, I don't even know his name now. Forgive me for not knowing his name, but he was making faces on the balcony. He was like, oh my gosh, it's too loud. The, the you know, um, air show was too loud for him. He was really, really um, quite animated throughout the entire uh, event. I think that's Prince Louis, yes? So they've got three children, Prince George, uh, Princess Charlotte, and Prince Louis. So Prince Louis... He was all the rave this weekend, and he was doing the most. Um, so he showed, he showed signs of being bored, of being cheeky, as the Guardian says, of being cross. And um, they say that this headline says, how Prince Louis captured the mood of the nation. Four years old, and he steals the show again. And they were showing pictures of him throughout the weekend from different events at the Queen's Jubilee. There was video footage of him. Um, you know, just being a four-year-old and they do stuff. They, they do stuff all the time. That's like, hmm, okay, <laughs> therefore. So here's i I'm going to show you guys some, some pictures here. So here are some of the pictures that they've gotten of him, um, doing the most in terms of his, uh, they'll show you some more footage here of just his little kitty antics. And it was kind of charming and, and cute and whatever. But the one thing I must tell you that occurred to me last night is I was looking at another video footage where he was like totally out of control. Like here he is, here he is with like the, the peace sign up in the air. Here he is in the balcony. Uh, Louis is just having a fabulous time. This kid is like, Hey, I'm loud and I'm a four-year-old and I'm enjoying it. Next moment I'm bored. Next moment I'm mad. You know, mom is trying to talk to him like, Louie, put your hand down. He's sticking his tongue out at her and she's just smiling. You know how parents, you know, when you're embarrassed by your kid's child, sometimes you're just like, oh, let me just smile till we get home. And then we'll have the discussion when we get home. At points, he was like standing up in his chair. He was just doing the most. Really look at him there. He's so animated. Right. That one, that was a photo of him where it was like the noise was too loud. And he's like, stop the noise. I can't take it. There he is pulling down um, his mouth. <laughs> you know, he's just doing the most. Kids do this kind of stuff. We normally think it's super cute. Obviously, you know, when kids are in public, um, it can be a little bit of a source of embarrassment to see them do stuff like that. Because, you know, as parents, hello, you're the royal family and your kid is doing all this. Um, by the way, have a great day to our radio listeners. Uh, we'll continue the brief conversation um, on streaming, but uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow morning. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth. 
on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels. And visit CaymanMorrowRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. Thank you, Pat. And thank you, Carol. <laughs> the names are totally escaping me. But yeah, I mean, this is so, it's so cute and it's so endearing. Um, but you know what occurred to me? And I must tell you that this definitely crossed my mind. I said, you know, if this was um, uh, uh, Megan Markle and her kids, so if this was her son, what is her son name again? Oh God, I can't remember. But if this was her kids, the headlines would be so different. Let's just be honest here. Can we be honest? The British media just does not like her. I don't know if it's because she's American, if she's because she's an actress, if it's because she's a divorcee, if it's all of that stuff. But the headlines would have been like, oh, she's a bad mom. She can't control her kids. Um, you know, he, he was throwing this tantrum. Y'all saw this. Hold on now. Let me show you what else he was doing. This is him. I mean, he was legit. Um, throwing some tantrums. Like I saw him stand up and carry, like he was all over the place, right? I was like, what the hell is wrong with this little kid? You know, Caribbean people wouldn't be putting up with that. Y'all would be like, yo, see, look at, look at it, look at that. He puts his hand over his mother's mouth. He's trying to cover it. Like she's trying to talk to him to say settle down. He's like sticking out his tongue, doing the little nose thing, putting his hand over. Oh my God. You know, as a parent child, some of y'all Caribbean parents would be like, ooh, Honey, chill. I'm gonna have to deal with you. Y'all wouldn't care for your royalty. You'd be jerking him up right there, front and center. But he's only four years old. Look at him. He's bored. And then Charlotte hands off the um her jacket. She's like, ah, oh, it's too hot, mom. Take this. And look. Oh, he's all up in her face. He's got his hands. Oh, honey, chill. Woo! Jared, I see you going, ooh, he would have gotten a little thumpity thump. Yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't play those you can't play those games in the Caribbean. Uh, you know. But he's four. He's four. He is four. And I do think she was trying. It's not like she was just ignoring it and allowing the bat. She was like, hey, you gotta, you gotta cool it. You gotta, you know. But I mean, he's making the view this morning. He's all over or yesterday morning. He was all over the place with his antics. Like people were legit, like, this is so interesting. But I think the response, I'm here, they're talking about how she's kept her cool and whatever, right? I think the response, had it been Megan, this is the only comment I'm gonna make about this, is I don't believe in mom shaming, but I think the response really would have been look up <laughs> look at Whoopi um showing some of what he was doing i think the response if it was megan would have been different they would have been blaming her they would have been saying oh megan's a bad mom megan's this megan's that you know and i think as four-year-olds sometimes we do put them in situations in public where you know a four-year-old expected to sit through all these events child he would rather be home with the nanny or playing with his friends or you know so you can't expect him to behave even like a 10-year-old at these events or an eight-year-old or whatever. As he matures, he will learn that that is not appropriate behavior. Um, you know, and it, it is what it is. Let me tell you something. As parents, when you have kids that are like four or five years old and you take them to certain events, the most you can hope for is for them to fall asleep. 
Because that's like your best bet. They fall asleep. There's going to be no sound. They're going to be behaving. They're good. <laughs> but when they're awake, anything is potential for a game. And, you know, you don't want to make a bigger spectacle of it by in that moment trying to discipline a child in that environment. you got to leave it until you can sit down and say, hey, we'll never be at another Platinum Jubilee event again, but <laughs> the next time we're out in public, here's what is expected of you. And no doubt, you know, he's got nannies and others who are training him to be much more well-behaved in public. So here's Melinda's comment on this. She says, well, funny, not funny, but cute at the same time. He's obviously not at the stage of refining, laughing out loud, precious. There are real people behind closed doors. I do love where George was corrected, where George was corrected by his sister. Uh, Gabby says, um, give up his title and freedom for love. How romantic. I love Harry. Carol says it's their complete disrespect for the royal family and written in general, both of them. Um, I don't know. They were treating her like that before they made their exit to left stage. So I think there's much more to this than, than, than them supposedly being disrespectful. And Gabby says, exactly. Poor Megan. She's had to deal with so much. No wonder they had to get out of that environment. Good for them. And I don't blame her one bit. I must say that if I was in that hostile environment, I would have been like, Harry, let's pack up and go somewhere else too. Leave it, leave it all behind. Um, I think history will prove that Harry made the right decision for him and his family. And speaking of Lilibeth, uh, this is the first uh, official. This is the first official photo of her. And I feel like they have ha have had another photo, but this is her. Um, of course, the British tabloids and and you know podcasters, everybody else is all over the story. But um, you know they're going on and on about how they came. But little Lilibeth, let me show you guys her picture. She is so cute. Oh, there she is. Looks like her dad with the red hair. Both both her and her sibling got that, you know, red hair from their father. Um, super, super cute. So they released this for um, her first birthday. So she actually turned one over the weekend. And they had a little birthday get together with some of the other parents and kids at Frogmore uh, Cottage, whatever the heck they call it, there in the UK. Little cupcakes and birthday celebration for Lily, Lilibeth. And she is actually named... Because that was the childhood name for Queen Elizabeth. So she's actually named in a way after Queen Elizabeth. And her, her family just calls her Lily. So there she is. Uh, super cute as kids go. And it is what it is. All right, folks. That's it for me. Uh, busy day ahead for you, Jared. Yes. Have to get to the grind and working hard. Yes. Here. I know. I got all kind of meetings and stuff going on today as well. So we wish you guys a fantabulous Tuesday. Uh, tune in tomorrow. So the topics that we didn't get to today, which include the Cubans, we'll be discussing tomorrow. Um, you know, that situation is really, really ticklish. But Caymanians, listen, our position on it is going to be crystal clear. And so I'm going to do my best without trying to offend anybody to tell you what the position is. I ran into a lady yesterday. She's like, oh, Miss Sandy, she's in the domestic uh, side of things out in the Eastern districts. And she's like, oh God, Miss Sandy, I love your show. I love how you put people in their place and you don't care and you just tell them how it is. I said, well, it is called a cold heart dream. It's not a friendship circle here. We're not trying to make friends. I'm saying, some of y'all are friends and friends to the show and you're good acquaintances to the program. But, um, you know, that's not our objective here. We're just here to tell the truth and to have a little bit of discourse. So the Cuban situation is one of those truth-telling situations. We'll see if maybe they want to come on the show and talk to us. Who knows? Jared, have a super productive day. We'll see you guys manana. 
Mañana. Be safe until then. All right. See you. All right. Take care.